You know, it was a hellacious run. Um, their role players stepped up in Curry's absence. You know, I, I just love the poise of our team. You know, we stayed together, we stayed calm, and we were able to hold them off. It was a bad third quarter. The other three quarters were, were quite good. I mean, I think we're in an understanding that any night, no matter who we're playing, we have an opportunity to win that game. Uh, we feel like we can compete on a nightly basis with everybody in the NBA. Uh, so, obviously, to come out here and beat these guys is, a, I think, a confidence booster for guys. And, um, you know, we just feel good about where we're at right now. We feel like we've let a few slip away in these first 29, but that comes through 82 games. You know, you're going to have letdowns, um, ebbs and flows of a season. So, um, just responding the right way, that's what matters. I think number one overall is just being on the same page communication. Everybody is in their books. Everyone knows their stuff. When it comes down to it, when the play hits, let's get everybody on the same page and not, hey, you know, this is what we worked on throughout the week. This is what we worked on throughout the whole week. So being able to, every time we line up, each and every single man knows their job, knows their assignment, but then that's only one half of it. The other half is execution. You got you to gotta complete that job as well at a high level. I'm going to have a defensive coordinator, um, but I do believe that what, what I do is unique. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not shy in saying I, I think I'm the best defensive coordinator in the country right now. Uh, I think the, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I, I would not relinquish those duties unless I felt comfortable. So I, the, the defensive side of the ball has got to be taken care of. If that's with me, then that needs to be with me. Um, but if I feel comfortable with the staff that we bring in and their abilities to um, do it as a high level as, as I could or, or better, then I'll do what's best for the program. That last voice was the voice of the new head coach at Purdue, Ryan Walters. He's right. He does bring a unique set of skills to Purdue, but his coaching tenure in terms of action on the sidelines won't begin until next fall. But in terms of setting up preparation for the Citrus Bowl, some breaking news today. Jimmy Cook alongside Brendan King. Is that Drew Brees' music? It is. Drew Brees. Stone Cold. Stone Cold. (laughs) An assistant coach for the Citrus Bowl. It was reported today by a number of different outlets confirmed in an official release from PurdueSports.com. Ross Dellinger, one of the first people to have that news from SI Now. He's going to help during the coaching transition, help the team prep for the Citrus Bowl, coach in the game, and can also recruit via an NCAA waiver. Well, BK, I know it's not the head coaching hire, but in terms of looking for flair, looking for pieces to the puzzle to draw up further interest in Purdue. Few can do better than a Super Bowl winning quarterback and arguably one of your most, at least in terms of the sporting world, uh, famous alumni of the last, I don't know, 30 years. There's a little pizzazz for you, right? A little pizzazz. Even Alan Karpik said yesterday that maybe it was a bit underwhelming when that hire first came out, right? So there's a little bit of flair. There's a little bit of fire and that kind of makes the news that Aiden O'Connell's not playing in the bowl against LSU a little bit easier to swallow. Because, look, Purdue's going to be without their head football coach. Purdue's going to be without their star quarterback. I'm sure there will be other boilers that will not play. The LSU Tigers are pretty good. Very, so very good. maybe having Drew Brees on the sideline and having that morale, it'll make what could be a long day 
easier to swallow. Look, if you're a Purdue fan, I will say the same thing that I told my friends and other Purdue fans going into the Big Ten championship game, which is that I don't want to say happy to be here is the mentality, but it's bowl season, right? And if you're a fan that travels for bowl games, go enjoy it. Go load up the Citrus oh, Bowl. Have a great live time. Live it up. But yeah, but based on the trends of what you're hearing, both from who's going to be playing in that game and who's not, you never know. Crazy things happen. Oh yeah, in bowl games. But yeah, it's it's getting close to enjoy the week. Happy to be here and I look forward uh, tracking the news of who Drew Brees can wrangle in while he's recruiting for you. Crazy things can happen. Hello, Eddie. Crazy things can happen. But I don't know if the band's going to end up being on the field. I don't know either. In the Citrus Bowl. Uh, good point by Dan Reif in the YouTube chat. By the way, you can join us on YouTube today sure. and every day. Charlie Jones and Payne Durham also up. Yeah. So yep. that's uh, that's not great, Bob. No, it's not great for yeah. Purdue. And it's just going to be a, a very fascinating game. It's the first matchup between the programs in history, which I can't believe. That's uh, pretty wild. And it'll be an opportunity, uh, this again from the press release, be the first back-to-back nine-win seasons for Purdue since 97-98. That was Drew Brees' freshman and sophomore years. What are the odds that uh, all-time con man Brian Kelly remembers how close Purdue made it? The family man? Yeah. That that guy? Remember how close Purdue actually played at Notre Dame Stadium a couple years ago? Oh, I was there. You were, you, you, mean, were that, you were at that which game? Which one? The one two years? The yeah, the most game? recent one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most yes, recent yeah. one. So last, I, I, last I wonder if, if Mr. Kelly just has any interest in laying a beat down with his LSU Tiger SEC roster just, just to get back at Purdue for almost embarrassing him in South Bend that day. There were a... I mean, obviously you had the series end during the Brian Kelly era, but uh, there were a lot of Notre Dame wins in those matchups against Purdue. So it's a familiar opponent in terms of Purdue versus that coach but I don't know I I think that it's it's Kelly's first bowl game in LSU right there's a statement to be made there they've had all this pomp and circumstance they beat Alabama this season Uh, I I mean I'm pulling for Purdue in that game for a number of different reasons but it's tough when you're losing players left and right and that happens with every team not just when you're going through a coaching transition you often see players get ready to prepare for the draft Totally get it. No faults in the players. If you're preparing for the draft, that's why you're leaving. It's a bowl game. I totally understand it. Not do, a problem for me. Do you remember Kelly's first bowl at Notre Dame? This is an all-time trivia question. No, I don't. I'm going to say I don't. The Sun Bowl is what the first bowl was with him at Notre Dame. Was it against Miami? I don't remember the opponent. Okay. I just remember the bowl because after the game, he said, you don't come to Notre Dame, with all due respect to the Sun Bowl, <laughs> You don't come to Notre Dame to play in the Sun Bowl. I am going to say high likelihood, Mr. Cook, that after the Citrus Bowl, we will get a Brian Kelly. With all respect to the Citrus Bowl, you don't come to LSU to play in the Citrus Bowl. I'd take those odds. I I mean, I just have the receipts (laughs) on Brian Kelly. I'm ready to unleash them at his Twitter account if and when that happens. In in his same vein to that point, I would say that's why I probably didn't remember the Sun Bowl because... (laughs) <laughs> who cares similar, honestly similar, who cares? Similar, <laughs> similar circumstances <laughs> so yeah that's, that's your big news of the day at least in terms of the college football world locally drew Brees headed back to purdue you would assume in a in a brief interim basis just as they make this transition from the brahm era to the walters era and again i'm anytime you're able to bump up your profile and utilize famous alumni I'm all here for it.
And I think this is a great call by Purdue. Uh, we were joking uh, with some of our members in the building, including Todd Meyer. And it's it's you know it's it's a hire that I'm sure will make Purdue people happy in the moment to hear Drew Brees' name back there. But how quick before this turns into an alumni game in terms of uh, the bowl be, game for Purdue? Wouldn't it be wild if instead of hiring Walters, they they named a like let's say Brian Brom went to Louisville right away? What if they named Drew Brees the interim head coach at Purdue, I, and while and Jeff Saturday's the interim head coach of the Colts, and Drew Brees is the I interim? I was waiting for to see which one of us made that joke first. I was gonna be like, you know, with the way things work around this town, I'm surprised they didn't just give yeah. Brees the reins right out the gate. You know, say, so, I mean, I mean, maybe. Uh, Maybe Mike Babinski is a big sausage guy, you know? <laughs> He's making some sausage. I don't know. I have no idea if Mike Babinski is into the sausage-making world. Jim say, you, speaking sir? of Todd Meyer, the there, great Todd Meyer in the building. There was an interesting comment by Coach Walters yesterday in that opening press conference, and that was right off the bat when he got up there, he encouraged and welcomed all former players that wore the old golden black to come back which was i think a slight shot at jeff brom because jeff brom here's a, here's an example you have a former all pro defensive end in roosevelt colvin who lives here in indianapolis whose daughter goes to purdue plays volleyball whose mm-hmm. son is going to go play basketball for purdue next year Never met Jeff Brom. Really? Never met Jeff Brom. That tells you a little something about, as a lot of people refer to it, Brom Corps, <laughs> the three brothers Brom, and what they, how they handled things at Purdue. Sure. A lot of, a lot of rumors about older brother Greg and how he is not the most welcome person up at Purdue. However... Never met Roosevelt Colvin. So it was not a we'll leave the light on for you mentality for alumni at, at Purdue? Uh, how you don't make an effort, especially when you're recruiting sure. in Indianapolis on a regular basis, not to make a stop or, hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee or how about you come up and watch some practices or whatever with a guy like Roosevelt sure. Colvin. So that was a very purposeful statement. First statement, the first thing out of his mouth when he got up there was basically, hey, all you former Boilermakers, come back. We love you. Welcome back. Come was, back. Was that before or after he called himself the best defensive coordinator in the country? That was uh, before. Wow. He had, hell of a press conference, boys. I mean... <laughs> No. You're, you're gonna argue Good, that he, great that, first impression. No, you, seriously. You're gonna argue that he isn't no, the best defensive no. coordinator in the country. Statistic, he had the number one statistically. Statistically, statistically so you I can't argue with stats. Oh, I like you it. can't I argue like with the little, biz, boys. Like a little bravado. Gotta pump your chest when you get out there, BK. I like Come a little on. Bravado yeah, there's a little swagger in West Lafayette. A little swagger. I like a little bravado out of the new coach. Yeah. Do, so uh, former Boilers. Does that apply to fans too? Like you know, all fans <laughs> coming for you. Going to the Citrus he was, Bowl. He was talking about. Those who wore the old golden black and played football. I'm sure you did at one point. (laughs) In your dreams, right? Well, maybe in my dreams. However, uh, I think you will see that. uh, And he mentioned the cradle of quarterbacks, the the den of defensive ends. He mentioned that tradition at Purdue. So he is very well aware of it. He's embracing it. 
I don't think the last regime really quite did that. Um, and that's going to be important. And I, and I, if you look at Drew Brees' comments about uh, doing this part-time thing for the bowl game, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, why not? I was joking, half joking with Jimmy and Eddie before the show, and that was why not bring Mike Alsat back to, to coach the running backs? <laughs> bring Roosevelt Colvin back to do the defensive ends. You know, bring them all back. Why not? Have fun with it because it's probably not going to be that pretty of a game. Yeah, it's like when the Colts hired Saturday and you had to bring the entire f- first take crew to, to like Dan Orlovsky's the quarterbacks coach, Mina Kimes is coaching the running backs, Mike Greenberg's the general manager. I mean, just go crazy at this rate. You know? I mean, it's an exhibition it's a game. Bull game. It's an exhibition yeah, game. It's a little yeah, yeah. different than coaching the yeah. Indianapolis Colts. Well, I don't know. It's a bull game. It sounds like some sausage is being made though in so, West Lafayette. So here's what do you mean by that? He's quoting the Jim Mercer press conference. Mike Babinski is big sausage guy. Okay, so here's here's my question to you guys: What are bowl games going to matter in the next two years? They don't, I mean, they already don't. I mean, but yeah, truly. And here's the other: How many LSU guys are playing? Also, yeah. a great question. <laughs> my my theory. I'd on, say there's a lot more athletes on LSU that don't want to so risk it. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing about LSU guys not playing. Second they, and third straight. They can take one guy out, and there's all American yes. just waiting to yeah, play. Right. Yeah. 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 right. But yeah. it, do do bowls become just part of the the 12 team playoffs? When, whenever we were having barbershop talk in the lead up to this of the expansion, that was my thought. The most meaningful bowl games that you have out there, not the GoDaddy.com bowl, but Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> you know what I mean. There's a little prestige difference. Those are involved in either the first rounds or the quarterfinals, right. whatever, as name recognition. Otherwise, I mean, I guess you could still have them if you want to, but that's all they are is exhibition and sponsorship moments. And I guess if you're playing in the game and you're hoping to raise your draft stock one last time, if you're not in the playoff, that's all you're looking for if they still have bowl games. Do guys that are going to be picked maybe in the later rounds or possibly free agent signings after the draft, should they be sitting out of a bowl game? I mean... Don't they have a little something to prove still? I think they do, but it's also all about, as you know, Todd, who's in their ear, right? If it's an agent telling oh, you you're yeah, going to be higher I mean, than you are, the... but the perceived value is you're a sixth-round pick, then you're getting bad information and you should probably play. But that's tough with a college kid if they're getting, hey, man, you're going to be top second or third round of this draft don't worry about playing and they end up being a sixth rounder that's that's where it gets tight like i I, i'm up to the kids to make the decision but if they're getting bad information that's anyway i wanted to point out that very first first things out of his mouth was welcoming back alumni football players and Hey. Doesn't hurt because of the, you know. Yeah, hey, I'm just saying. I've seen, <laughs> How about a little uh, hey, cash when you come back, too? <laughs> I've seen those pictures in your office of your West Lafayette days where you're, you know, you look like a big, strong linebacker. So, you know, I'm sure. What he's, position you play? He's in high still school? trying to angle you to play in the in the in the alumni game. What position did you play in, kinda, in high school? Ball? This is just kind of. <laughs> This is very unbecoming of you, Mr. King. How so? Very unbecoming. One of us has to be the villain in here. Really? I think so. If we agree on everything all the time, it's not fun. You're a villain? No. Is that what you're saying? Never, never. I'm like the 90s bad boys Pistons, right? Yeah. Todd Meyer, everybody. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Anyway. Thank you, Todd. Important point. Appreciate that. Very important point. You guys are sounding good. Thank you. Thank you. That, see, that's, that. that's an important comment from the executive producer. It's always very important. Yes, indeed. Always good. We're not getting fired yet! Woo! Last night, 
Pacers Warriors. Oh, by the way, I did want to say oh, good, uh, sorry. the the famous Idaho Potato Bowl must stay. Yes. Yeah, I'm fine with Mustang. that. Must Yeah, I'm fine. If you have make that the national championship. I, I, at this rate. <laughs> I, I, I also need the Duke. I also need the Duke's Mayo Bowl back in there. I need uh, anything that has a quirky end of game yeah. finish. I, I I need you there. Could you imagine sure. if like Tessitore's doing the natty and like from the famous Idaho Potato Bowl? It's for all the marbles, Alabama and Georgia. Clash in Boise. You gotta have some type of pedigree, I think, yeah, towards I those those I final games. It. I love it. Pacers Warriors last night, 125-119. The Sirs down the defending champs. Uh, Granite, Steph did leave in the third quarter of this game, and Clay Thompson did not play. But Pacers have been up and down over these last 10 games, and to get a nice performance all around. Tyrese Halliburton, great response game after being scoreless the other night. 29 points for him, and... The rookie who, BK, I was banging the drum after his performance in the NCAA tournament, didn't know if the stars would align, Benedict Matherin here in Indiana, and has yet another solid top-shelf performance against a, again, even though they're struggling right now, a top-caliber team in the Golden State Warriors. 24 points last night. Was all over the place. Great to see that, regardless of where this season goes. I know we talked about earlier in the week, we don't know what identity this team's going to be, if they're a playoff team or if they're still a year away from that. But rookies continue to show out, and Halliburton shows that was just a one-game anomaly like Coach Carlisle expected. I mean, at this rate, the the, the, the are we going to start talking about how the Pacers have had the Warriors' number? They Over the last them. year and a half? They swept them. Swept them this to. year, and then they got the win on the road last year. Remember the win on the back-to-back yep. against yep. the Lakers? and the war- like, I was like, Kiefer Sykes showing up and, and balling out. <laughs> right. but this year, the roster... <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what a name, what a player, clearly. Uh, Rick Carlisle mentioned the top of the show and what Eddie put together. Like, bad third quarter, you get outscored 33-19. Other than that, you play a pretty darn good game. Second quarter, maybe the best second quarter of the year, 47 47- 28 you outscore with the Warriors and we had Tim Roy the voice of the Warriors on yesterday I we had a limited amount of time with him but the last question I was going to ask before we ran out of time is he did mention you know somebody's going to have to step up for the Warriors without in the absence of Clay Thompson that ended up being the former Villanova guy Dante DiVincenzo I was going to ask Tim about DiVincenzo yesterday because he has played practically no minutes he had a decent enough role in Milwaukee before going to Golden State. He had 15 and 8. So, really, otherwise, as you said, Jimmy, Steph has 38 and then gets injured. But otherwise, you do a pretty darn good job. I mean, Draymond Green with just a point. Um, you know, you look at that bench Moody with 13, Green with 15. Jordan Poole does get 20 on you. But, uh, Jimmy, in terms of damage control, I think he did a hell of a job. Jermichael Green had 15 in the fourth quarter alone. So all That's 15 something. of his points came in the fourth, and then DiVincenzo had 10 in the fourth, so 25 of the 32 came between those two guys. And the 47 points in the second quarter by Indiana uh, marked the second most points that the Warriors had given up underneath Steve Kerr in a quarter, the most points that an opponent has scored in a quarter against the Warriors in the first half, 74 points, uh, were the most points ever scored in a half against the Warriors this season as well. Is there trouble in paradise with Steve Kerr and the Warriors? I mean, they've dealt with a number of injuries. Wiggins is still on the shelf. And they've had young guys, like Tim mentioned yesterday, step up in big ways. It didn't happen for them last night. And that's all credit to the Pacers and Coach Carlisle and you know their ability to just outpace a Warriors team. Plus, again, Steph going down helped things as well. But 
it has been the likes of uh, of DiVincenzo. Jonathan Kaminga has been on a nice tear for them as of late. He was held to nine last night. Draymond Green gets tossed from this game. I mean, like, there's. Am I willing to press a panic button yet? No, because with the expansion of the playoff to have the play-in tournament now, I mean, we're only for a Warriors team that you know is capable of turning back the corner. I'm not saying they're going to be a top C, but they could be middle of the pack by the end of the year because that conference is still pretty evenly divided. But BK, the bigger, just wild stat to think about because even though they've been so good at uh, the Chase Center, I think it's still the Chase Center uh, in. Golden State like that. as well, but the two and thirteen mark away from home. Obviously, it was two and twelve going into that. Now they're two and thirteen. Tim didn't seem overly concerned about that, but that is surprising for me to see a Steve Kerr team that far below five hundred on the road. Uh, that that's more of a again. I'm not to say that if you punch a ticket to the dance, you still can't make some noise, but they've clearly missed Wiggins over this run. Clay Thompson was a precautionary rest. That's another weapon out there that you cannot ignore, even though he's not what he was three years ago. He's still one of the best guards in the league. Either way, but we can make all the, I can bumble all the excuses I want into your question of, is this a trouble in paradise situation? I don't think it is. I wouldn't call it a championship hangover as much as it's just the injuries that unfold over the course of a season. And for the Pacers, it's a high quality win that shows you can bounce back. Now you're a game over 500. You're still... Eddie, I don't have the figure right in front of me, but I know you still have, what, it's probably four of their next six at home? Is that right? Four of their next eight? Uh, I know they go to Cleveland. No, so they have four of their next five are on the road. Four of their next five are on the road. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They have Cleveland tough stretch, Friday man. on the road, and then they come home quickly on Sunday, take on the Knicks. That's a five o'clock tip. Uh, then they go to Boston, Miami, and New Orleans. So they have a good, a good uh, road so we're back on the road side. Okay, Trip, yeah. so that is where these stretch of five, ten games for the Pacers is going to be very telling for me of not only what your rooting interest should be in this team, but what type of team they're going to be this year. They're a game over 500. Chris Denary talked about it earlier with us in the week that because of how tight the Eastern Conference is right now, yes, you could win a couple games and suddenly you're the five seed, but you could also drop a couple and be outside of that picture even in the in the play-in territory, you could be outside of that. So very telling this road trip for what the Pacers do over the course of this stretch, and that's going to be a good barometer, I think, for what the final two-thirds of the season are going to hold for this club. Uh, number one, have you seen ever seen the Paul Rudd meme, who would have thought, not me? Uh, would there? Yes. Yeah. Who would have thought, not me, the Indiana Pacers own a better record than the Golden State Warriors on December <laughs> the 15th? On the Ides of December, the Indiana Pacers have a better record (laughs) than the Golden State Warriors. That is remarkable. Number two, this is a really tricky Christmas stretch. Because, Jimmy, after you get done with the Knicks on Sunday, Eddie mentioned you go to Cleveland on Friday. Wednesday, Friday, Monday, that's the week of Christmas, at Boston, at Miami, at New Orleans. Arguably, New Orleans might be the most tricky game in that bunch. Because the Pacers have been able to play to their competition pretty well. But the way with New Orleans is playing right now, we discussed that a little bit yesterday with what Zion's doing, what C.J. McCollum's doing. That The day after Christmas, not only is that a bit of a distraction, because you just got done with 48 hours of holiday and probably flying around and trying to enjoy the holiday, then you got to try and defend Zion Williamson if you're Miles Turner. That's a really tricky game. And that's a game, Jimmy, that... 
if I'm like ESPN, I might try and think about flexing that yep. in the prime time. That's at eight o'clock. I, I, I'm thinking about that's that has turned into an excellent basketball game. These two teams faced off earlier in the year too. New Orleans and Indiana. They faced here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It was earlier in the season, about the tenth game. I can't remember exactly what. Uh, time frame that would have been, but Pacers picked up a win. It was 129-122. I remember that game because that was the Miles Turner nearly 40-point game where he had you know, 37 points. Did Zion not play that night? Zion did. They were he fully did. healthy. They had Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, and C.J. McCollum. They had everybody playing that game, and they still de- defeated the Pelicans by seven. Well, that's not an easy road game at all. So, but, so to your point, Jimmy, and what you were saying, uh, that little Christmas week that is not going to be easy, but that's going to be really telling, especially if you want to be thought of as a legit team when it comes to entering the month of January. It's hard to base a team's fortunes on a five-game sample size, but because I'm going to ignore the Hawks game for a second. If there is one, though. I, I need I need three and two over those five. Cavs, Knicks, Celtics, Heat, Pelicans. I need, I need a three and two stretch or better by the Pacers. That's where my bar is set. Fair. Fair. Uh, this is quickly gotten around to a proving yourself team. I am no longer in the camp of, oh, it's a fun team. I'm cool. You know, if they lose five straight, it's cool. It's a fun team. This is quickly turning into a, let's see what we got. This is not a push your chips in kind of thing. But let's see what we got because decisions, Jimmy, are going to have to be made on Miles, on Buddy, and other TJ McConnell. Decisions are going to have to be made. So why not see what you got? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with the idea of seeing what you have. It's just they're, they're the seventh seed right now. And again, even though you extend this to the tenth seed with the play-in tournament, and I understand the play-in tournament is like the the wild card back how it used to be in baseball. When it was just a one-game sample size, like, oh, is that really the playoffs or not? So regardless of what side of I that debate. I think it's fun. Yeah, but it, it adds more intrigue and it keeps interest in teams towards the bottom half of the league. I'm still not... I still can't get a grip on the Pacers' identity to the point that I'm willing to say, yes, let's play for the four. I understand the the Kaminga dreams, or excuse me, the Wimbanyama dreams have been dead on arrival pretty much for this Pacers team because they have continued to ball out night overnight and show that they're not going to be the same team they were a year ago. They've added young pieces through the draft, and they are happy with where Tyrese Halliburton has come along uh, with – since the trade deadline last year to the start of this season. So I'm not quite in your camp, BK, that like if they were to drop the next five, let's say for sake of argument that I'm ripping stuff up and I'm like, oh, well. Oh, no, 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 no. That I'm not ripping stuff up. I just thought you were setting expectations for them that they need to. No, I, I if you if you go one and four over this stretch, what I, I'm, I'm not ripping stuff okay. up. But I'm saying if there is an opportunity for you to show your true colors, Totally agree. In the yeah. first half of the it's season, stretch. Yes. it's right here. Yes. Yeah, completely agree. Because it, if if this stretch happens right before the trade deadline and you stink, it might be easier to say, all right, just do it. it I mean, it's trade deadline. You got to make a decision. But if there's an early part of the season where you can sort of identify what you are and base your decision a little bit easier when it comes to that trade deadline yep. time, it's right now. Yeah, and we've we talked to a number of different Pacers people throughout the week. Uh, we're going to talk to Tony East a little bit later today uh, in that same fashion of kind of where he feels this team is because, yeah, you, you can't let Miles at a contract year, if we get to that point, walk for nothing, assuming you're not doing an extension there, which, again, that's not off the table. But those are the type of decisions that Brennan's talking about that fans are well aware of. 
And at the end of the day, what you do with Miles and what, whether he's here or whether you are ex- trading him and moving him for either draft capital or new pieces that are underneath team control for a longer tenure, you need to get more clarity of what this team is and totally agree with you, BK. That is going to come, at least in part, in my mind and in your mind as well, with how this team does over these next five games. Again, we mentioned Tony East, top of the hour at 1 o'clock, bottom of the hour, Nick Gardner of the Butler Bulldogs Radio Network going to take some time with us. Bulldogs and the Huskies. 2011 National Championship game rematch at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Tom Lemming of CBS Sports going to join us 2 o'clock, talk a little bit about not just Purdue and Drew Brees stepping back into the fold, at least in terms of this brief basis for the bowl game, but also college football big picture. Then Matt Taylor, bottom of the 2 o'clock hour, getting us set for Colts Vikings. As that is just not three days away, folks, just two days away with a Saturday kickoff for Colts Vikings. Brendan King and Jimmy Cook here on the fan. We'll come back. We'll take a little bit deeper of a look at Colts Vikings and where we feel the difference maker is on either side of the field for both the Colts and the Vikings. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on the fan. Slow jams with Eddie Garrison. On a Thursday. Is that like a Jimmy Fallon segment? Slow jams with... No, that's uh, Mike Wells and GMV. No, but I'm talking... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I understand what you meant. It might be. He, I mean, he, Thanks, he, you have a lip sync battles. Yeah, did he, like, Ob- it's, it's he, he brought on like Obama and like... Like I said, I'm a company man. It's very possible. Very good. Uh, you know, I, I ran into Mike Wells at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I was doing the Butler women's game. I, I, I get a poke on my shoulder. I turn around. It's Mike Wells. Wellsy. Like, it's like, of, of all people. It's like, Professor, what are you doing here? You're in enemy territory. <laughs> professor Wells. Can you imagine having Wells as a college professor? It's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I feel like that would be the most lax class of all time. It's like, hey, you didn't turn it in. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I could Whose see- class is more difficult, KBs or Wells? <laughs> oh, man, that's a great question. Of, of people to take. I think Who would you take, Eddie? I could see the two of them trying to one-up one another with difficulty of trying yes. to see which which students would be more <laughs> frustrated with them. What class you take it, Eddie? I have to side with my guy, KB. Wow. You know, I'm going to take Wells' class just for the hell of it. Easy A. So now I got to be the neutral party and say, oh. I, annoying me, I'd take both. Yeah, Wells, if you're listening, you give me an A+. Plus. <laughs> Everyth- everything's hundreds. Everything's hundreds. Uh, Colts and the Vikings on Saturday afternoon. Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Vikings are 10-3, and three. Colts are 4-8-1. and one. Injury report as of yesterday, Braden Smith was a full practice participant. He was under the weather, not participating in practice. Brandon Faison, Kenny Moore, and Mike Strawn. Strawn actually just popped up yesterday due to a concussion. He was fine on Tuesday. Something must have happened in Tuesday's practice. So, Jimmy, the wide receiver core, continues to get more slim, eh? Not great. Whenever we're talking about an opportunity against a Vikings team that has struggled against the pass as of late and, and has a full body of work of that all season, you're looking for silver lining. If you're a Colts fan that's rooting for this team to win, then that would be your avenue to try to go about it. Only problem is can't protect your quarterback and your receiving room is getting thinner and thinner by the minute. So, no, not ideal. And then you look at the other side of things. We've talked for a long time this year about how solid the Colts defense has been against the run. But over these last three, 
not so much. Seven rushing touchdowns, 533 yards on the ground. And now you welcome in Dalvin Cook, who, even though he's on a down year in terms of yards per carry and has been held in check the last couple of games, if I'm Dalvin Cook, that's a matchup I'm salivating at at the opportunity just at where this Colts team has been defensively unless they're able to retool themselves, not retool themselves in terms of personnel, but retool themselves in terms of focus and limit what Dalvin Cook does because if I'm a Colts fan, I'm banking on the Gilly Lock to be back in Stephon Gilmore against Justin Jefferson. Uh, if I am a fantasy owner of Justin Jefferson, which I may or may not be, I don't know if I have to disclose that or not, uh, I'm hoping that's spill not the, the case. Spill the beans, You Jane. definitely did. Uh, spill yes. the beans. You, you spilled the beans yesterday with Paul Allen. <laughs> I did. I did spill the beans with Paul Allen yesterday. So, uh, BK, it's going to be an interesting matchup. The Colts, again, are in a boat that nobody in this city likes, which is there's not really anything to play for outside of the 3% playoff chance that we keep joking about, which, God forbid, if this team wins, we're going to have to get a T-shirt made that says 10% or whatever the percentage has jumped up to. But that's what I'm watching for is how this Colts defense, particularly in the run, is able to limit a Dalvin Cook that's been not his self this year, but has been solid enough within the Vikings offensive attack to be a menace and a problem. And then how Gilmore and Justin Jefferson, whenever that matchup is drawn, battle up against each other. I filled in for you once on the uh, Wait Too Early pregame show oh, man, last year. And Eddie, Eddie and I did a segment of the airing of grievances, which is Frank Costanza's festivist tradition. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and, and my airing of grievance was that Dalvin Cook was made out of glass and the guy just gets hurt so often. So, yeah, I I mean, maybe that's something for the Colts to get to. I mean, maybe try and hammer Cook as much as possible. The problem, Alexander Madison is a pretty good backup. Uh, By the way, Vikings had a walkthrough yesterday. They did did not release practice projections when it comes to injuries. On Tuesday, though, their defensive backfield not looking as hot as it should. Cameron Dantzler is out of practice on Tuesday due to an illness, and our good buddy Harrison Smith, Jimmy from the Irish, was limited in practice on Tuesday with a neck injury. So I guess the more that Minnesota's going to have to go to their bench when it comes to the defensive backfield, maybe the more that Matt Ryan is going to be able to launch things downfield. But when it comes to Ryan launching things downfield is not as far as others. We would agree that at times this year, and and the motto of the Colts at times over the last five years has been run the damn ball, no? Right? Yeah, but for some uh, reason they got away from it right. in the last regime. It, for some reason, it's, you go 10 straight play, pass plays. and Well, so I lead this into you because Jonathan Taylor, you would hope, again, I this this down year for Taylor, specifically speaking, I, I'd, I'd like to, to ride him out and see what you have, but I lead into this with this, Brendan, in stats that nobody cares about, but in over-unders that everybody should care about. Matt Ryan can pass Ben Roethlisberger for fifth place on the NFL's career list in this is just pass attempts. He needs 13. Will we see over under 13 pass attempts for Matt Ryan against the Minnesota Vikings on Saturday? Bet it, Eddie. We got a bet on that? I don't I know if that's the official feet. number. Can that is just what? Pass attempts? Over under 13 pass attempts for Matt you Ryan. You love betting pass attempts, don't you? You love betting props. Uh, I do. Uh, I like attempts and I like uh, completions. And the under on the longest re- completion, that's my that's oh, one that's of my your favorites. Big, oh, you got hammered on that the, the other week, didn't you? Yeah, that was the Dallas game, you know, where they finally decide to air it out to Alec Pierce down the field yeah. in the first quarter. I'm like, bleep. B- bleep. So, Jimmy, Matt Ryan has the 
potential to do that on Saturday. Here's a question I was thinking of last that's night. All, that's what's being played for, by the way. The Vikings yeah, exactly. are playing for a division yeah. title, and we're here with Matt Ryan trying to pass Ben Roethlisberger for pass attempts. Just, Go ahead, sorry. Just, just more steps to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Has this year hurt Matt Ryan's legacy in any way? No, people have been saying that same thing about Russell Wilson. I mean, it, it all depends on what matters to you as a Hall of Fame voter. I mean, Matt Ryan has an MVP underneath his belt. Uh, he has the statistical numbers. Just doesn't have the big one. Back up. He doesn't have the Super Bowl ring. How much that mattered? Uh, I mean, it's hard to sim that out. I, I don't think so. And the same talk, if I say I don't think so to that, I know that wasn't your question, but those those type of talking points have popped up with Russell Wilson. Like, I've, I'm not... I think that's a bit more of a jab. I think he's in a little bit of a different I, well, boat, But though. I think it's been more of a jab than anything. I'm right. He's won a Super Bowl. It's... Oh, see, it's probably all coming from Seattle. Right. P- Pete Carroll yeah. probably owns every burner account <laughs> from Seattle, and it's just him talking smack to Russell Wilson. <laughs> I would love to see Pete Carroll <laughs> with a burner account. Four or five different I, burner accounts. Do we accounts. think Pete Carroll knows how to use Twitter? Mm. I, I, I don't know if I'd say he doesn't know how to use it, but I'd be surprised if he's actively on it. I would too. I, I, I'm with you. I wanted to po- poise the question because maybe that's something that will come up if things continue to go the way that they are. Ryan's already been, again, he hasn't necessarily been benched because he was hurt in that two-game stretch, but they made it sound like he was being benched. If he gets benched again after the Colts are done with like their 2% milk playoff chance, because they're like in the milk territory right now of playoff chances. 1%, 2%. Uh, the moment they get up to whole milk is maybe when they have a chance. Look, I don't blame Ryan for the benching or the long-term move for I don't Sam either. Ellinger. I don't either. Because they tossed the guy that did that, uh, <laughs> Frank Reich, the uh, streets, a couple yeah. weeks later and said, hey, good luck. Uh, we'll see you later. And then uh, the mafia went after Sam Ellinger. We haven't seen him since. So, I mean, I... <laughs> he, he got whacked. We were... <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't, I don't hold that against Matt Ryan. And again, a lot of it just... I was never like a diehard Matt Ryan supporter, but I enjoyed those years in Atlanta, particularly when he was at the height of his powers. Those were some fun teams. And I'm still on the boat that I think that if you have a high-quality offensive line, which was what was supposed to be here behind him, you're going to – he can still play. He still has the ability to play the position, not at the level that he did five, six years ago, but at a level that is starting caliber – in my mind. Now, if he also decides to hang it up, is what it is. But but Brennan, I think this is as much if Matt Ryan I don't know, it's hard to put the your self in the shoes of an athlete, particularly at that high of a level. But I would like to think that if you would have asked Matt Ryan five years ago, hey, you think you're gonna come back next year? You're gonna play? Like, yeah, absolutely. Why are we even talking about this question? Whether that's Matt Ryan just because he doesn't know with his family and what they want him to do, why he's talked to Kevin earlier this week saying that he hasn't really thought about it right now. He's focused on day-to-day. Maybe that's just his mantra in general. Maybe he is having thoughts about, you know, um, we'll see how things go. That's what these four weeks could very well be for him, is see where he is on the back end of this stretch. Does he see any improvement in his game to tell him that he wants to come back another year, whether it's here or he's under contract or whether it's somewhere else because the Colts wave him. Well, how quickly things change, and usually, I would say, training camp interviews, training camp sound bites, it's all fluff. It, yeah. It's all the same stuff. Yes. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Best shape of my life. How's the, how's the scheme? Good. Love coach. Everybody have a good relationship with coach? Yeah, absolutely. We trust him. I want Naeem Hines on my fantasy team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've made that mistake two years in a row. Thank you. 
Uh, <laughs> I tried to warn you, people. Yeah, I tried. You know, my best. Well, I, I, I now know. I mean, it's not. It's you know. You know what's sad about him? I'll get back to the. What's sad about him? He's getting less work in Buffalo than he was here. Yep. If that's even possible. Now, there's a lot of mouths to feed in that Buffalo backfield, but is that, is that surprising to you? I don't know. James Cook has looked solid at times. Yeah, and the, I mean, Singletary's not yeah, going anywhere. So I think it's a depth move, if anything. And I think it's more of a special teams move than anything else. Well, yeah. I mean, that too. I just He had a tough time fumbling punts in his last yeah. time as a Colt, though. Uh, what I was saying, though, is that training camp speak is usually pretty fluff. Sure. Well, I, I still remember the day when, when Ryan was like, yeah, you know, I got three or four more years. <laughs> yeah. It's like, RIP to that. Yeah, uh, we're but, not, there's not that same level of no, confidence. No, I, I just wonder if, if a guy like him with the legacy that he has, maybe he's already a Hall of Famer with his stats. Maybe he needs the Super Bowl ring to get in. I'm not going to get into that. What I am saying, though, I, I don't know if a guy like him needs the role next year uh, he doesn't have to be a mentor to anybody if he doesn't want to right and, know, and again i know we've talked about that this week brendan but you know this as well as i do <laughs> you can't be a mentor for somebody unless they finally take somebody so until that yeah, exactly happens, so until he's the only guy well, not the only guy under contract but he is under contract next year and what they do is going to be uh that's going to be so many Interesting discussions between Ursay and Ballard and or insert GM here and Matt Ryan for who for what his future is going to hold, because you don't know. He has the option. Should he show choose or maybe it, it gets him shipped off to another team? I just I'm I'm more interested right now in not only how Matt Ryan looks in game because the line issues haven't really been fixed and haven't really been. They haven't been touched. Well, well, <laughs> I, I, I say that because because Ryman has looked better over the last couple of weeks. I am, I'm giving him that. Um, and they want to see what they have out of him as a long-term answer at left tackle, if that is the case of what they decide to do. I'm more worried about what Matt Ryan looks after these games and just kind of where his mindset and mentality is over these next four weeks because that's going to be very telling to me if he would want to run it back or if the Colts want to run it back with him, whether that is as a mentor or that is as the actual starter next season. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm Brendan King. Eddie Garrison is here. You can join the conversation on Twitter if you'd like to do so. My handle is at BKingSports. Jimmy is at Cook. Eddie at Eddie Garrison underscore. Tweet us if you'd like to join in. We're coming back next. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 11 minutes from now, Tony East is going to join us to talk all things Indiana Pacers. You're going to get your Butler Bulldog fix at 1.30. Dogs and the Huskies on Saturday from Hinkle, the analyst on the Butler Bulldog radio network with the great Mark Minner, Nick Gardner, of course, former Bulldog himself. He's with us at 1.30. Making his first appearance ever on the fan is my guy, Tom Lemming, national recruiting analyst for CBS Sports. Tom used to be with ESPN, now with CBS. He is, if there is a way I can describe Tom, it would be, he's the, he's the guy who's got a story for anything. You, you can tell him one word and he goes off on a 15-minute tangent. And actually, Tom is going to join us from the state of Mississippi. He was close friends, 22 years worth with Mike Leach. And Tom is down at Mississippi State to attend... Um, some ceremonies and some vigils and some 
um, you know, prayer sessions they're having for Coach Leach. So he is down in Mississippi. Tom will join us at two. And he did give me the tease, Jimmy. Oh. Tom Lemming did that he has some spectacular Mike Leach stories. Yes. So we're going to get that at two o'clock. Looking then, forward to that. Two thirty. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, will be with us. I, I think my. Uh, you know, obviously, again, melancholy news that that Mike Leach has passed on. But I, I mean, every hour of every day, you're see, I, I seemingly see new Mike Leach interview clips, and, and they're just national treasures. It's yeah, it, it just it speaks volumes to those that didn't know it about the impact that he made not on the sport, but also and by the sport, I mean not only the players and the coaches that were under him, but also just in the lexicon of college football that whether it's viral clips, whether it's just quotes that he had, whether it's experiences that people had working with him, interviewing him, so many different stories for that man. And again, it's 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 very sad. We've mentioned this a couple times this week. Our heart goes out to his family and all those that were impacted by Coach Leach, which is, again, a, a very, very large group of people. You know, I was listening to uh, part of my take with uh, PFT and Big Cat, and, and they were talking about Coach Leach in the sense that in a sport where so many people seem fake often when it comes to coaching Mike Leach was always unapologetically himself totally agree and and it actually looked like he had fun and and I think Big Cat said like it does it look like Nick Saban has fun does it look like Kirby Smart has fun does it look like Dabo Sweeney has fun when things are not going you know maybe their way it it always seems like Mike Leach had fun And, and, and that's refreshing in a sport again, Jimmy, and maybe times will change considering the NCAA is now making a move. Mark Emmert's going away. Charlie Baker, who is oddly enough the governor of Massachusetts, is going to be the next NCAA president. Maybe things change, but I I, I don't know. For me, in the coaching industry, it, it just seemingly, maybe it's people taking themselves too seriously. Maybe it's just the stress of the biz, but you just don't see people having fun as Mike Leach seemingly did. You can always tell when somebody's being fake or when somebody's being genuine and wins and losses are what define coaches in the long run in terms of their job security. But in terms of the overall profile of who they were and the impact they had on people's lives, people like ingenuity and Mike Leach was anything or everything and everything to define that uh, throughout his coaching career. Other news we didn't talk about today uh, is from Zach Osterman on Twitter. Mike Woodson told the media that Jalen hood Shafino will participate in practice today. Then IU will see how he responds. Quote, BK. He didn't say BK in the quote. I should clarify that. Quote, I actually was there. <laughs> you were there. Today, we're going to let him bang a little bit and see where he is tomorrow. Ooh. Yeah, I love banging in the post. Got to. Got to get in that individual work, see how he does. And again, You'll talk about earning signature wins. This is a huge contest for IU this weekend at the Fog against Kansas, an opportunity to obtain a signature win. Again, it's very early in the season, but man, it would be nice to grab one on a an away matchup and add it to your tournament resume while we're still in the calendar year of 2022. Look, if Don Fisher is saying that the IU schedules of old were too cupcake, I, I think... I think you're on to something. Yep. Um, maybe that's college basketball. Again, back to the point. The NCAA is about to go through maybe its biggest change in decades with Emmert being gone and Baker coming in. Does that change how different sports operate? We don't know. But again, if the guy who has been at a school for four or five decades is saying that, hey, toughen up your schedule. 
it's probably a good sign to do so. And that's what Mike Woodson has done. You think about who has been on the IU schedule this year. You already have a win against the team that was in the national championship game from a year ago. Now you're having another game against a team that was in the national championship game a year ago, but they won it. Uh, Bill Self, say what you will about what he has done. Uh, the Sean Miller news yesterday was very intriguing to read, seemingly that he is off the hook. But Bill Self was not off the hook at the start of this year. He was suspended at the start of this year. Say what you will, guy won a national championship last year. Did he bend the rules? Probably. Well, that's a hell of a program. And as you said, it's an unreal opportunity to pick pick up what would be arguably, when's the, if they beat Kansas, when's the last time that IU had a win as big as that? As an alum. On the road, I would have to, I would have to think about it. I would really think about the last time they had a... Because Kansas, not only are the defending national champion, but Kansas is one of the pillars of college basketball. They're right in there with Indiana. They're right in there with North Carolina and Duke of just true blue blood programs. And again, to your point about saying what you will regarding just the overall legacy of, of Bill Self. I mean, he's he's kept that program at the highest stature. Did he follow the, if you're not cheating, you're not winning mentality then you know maybe uh it's, it's hard to say he hasn't given that he's had some suspensions here and there but uh, here and there <laughs> seems like yearly thing yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the opportunity to get a win like that and for this team i i think it does not only numbers for you in terms of your tournament resume but this is your last legit matchup before we get into the nitty-gritty of big 10 play this would be huge for Mike Woods and a company and this 2022-2023 Hoosiers roster to get a win at Allen Fieldhouse. They also need to realize that they anticipate to work to play in the NCAA tournament and play deep into the tournament. This is what you're going to run into. It's going to be buzzsaw after buzzsaw. I still remember the Woodson quote that they formulated the schedule like it's the tournament. Now, whether that's true or not, I mean, look, look at the teams, they, some of them they have played. I don't think you're running in the Jackson State in the NCAA tournament, but you're going to play those games. This is the type of squad that you're going to have to beat if you want to win in March. You just lost to Arizona, who in my mind, I actually just put a futures bet a couple days ago on Arizona making the Final Four. I think they're really, really good. Same case here for Kansas. The Grady Dick kid can really, really shoot. I think I've watched every Kansas primetime game this year, and in every game, that kid has made three or four threes where you're like, where the hell did that come from? So they're going to need Jalen hood Shafino. first of all, defensively if they're going to lock this team down, but if they're going to outscore Kansas. That's a team that runs it around the perimeter and they always have a big guy. Always, always that when they have solid ball movement, their big guy, whether that's, uh, who's the guy from uh, Ajabaji? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, played there. Ajabaji. Yes. And who is the other guy? The monstrous guy. Azabuki, right? No. Azabuki. No. Yes. He was there before Ochai. But I know I'm who you're talking about. David McCormick last yes, year. Yes, I, yes. But, you know, all of those guys, all three of those guys, there's always a Kansas big dude that can hurt you when they swing it around the perimeter and he always finds himself open in the post. That's a Bill Self offense. And, Jamie, if Mike Woodson's club is not ready for that, it's going to be a bad night. All the more reason, again, that you hope that it's a clean bill of health for Jalen Hood Fino and that he is ready to operate and roll. Again, if he's not, it's early in the season. I mean, I, I want to have an all-hands-on-deck mentality because of the importance of the game, but the Big Ten is still one of, if not the best, 
conference in college hoops for a reason. You're going to have opportunities to get resume changing wins throughout the conference schedule. But this is the end of your non-conference, uh, just in terms of, of of high level power five schools. No, they have, still have two matchups left outside of Big Ten play uh, before you get into the meat and bones of conference play. But yeah, this is a game that you'd love to have. And you saw how even though Kansas maybe isn't as highly paced, few teams are as Arizona. If you come out flat-footed like they did offensively, how they looked without Hood Shafino in that contest in the first half, you might get the doors blown off you at Allen Fieldhouse this weekend. It's pretty remarkable to me uh, by a team led by Trace Jackson Davis just how much a freshman yeah, it is. means and, to this and, IU team. And, and that's... I get that. I know you're not doing that, but that's I've heard I'm not that, blaming but, no, and I've heard that. that as a criticism towards IU. And I'm not necessarily criticizing. And I know you aren't. I just mean I've seen it. And look, this was a team that they struggled with guard depth and guard play a year ago, particularly players that can change games and hit big time shots. Huchifino, small sample size this year has shown he can do that. That's a big takeaway to not have that and have to replace it with further down on the line. At VJ Cook on Twitter. I'm at B King Sports at Eddie Garrison underscore. You can chime in. Coming up next, Tony East will be with us to talk the Pacers big win over the Warriors. Pacers are 15 and 14. That's next on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan. Welcome back to the fan. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming to you from the drivehubor.com studios. Time to shift gears. Head to the Mower Shop in Fisher's Hotline and themowershop.com. It's a place to go for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, repairs, services, and so much more. The Mower Shop has you covered. We welcome in one of our favorites on the Pacers beat, the man himself, Tony East. Nice enough to take some time with us. Tony, after yet another solid performance from Benedict Matherin, I'm asking you to be my financial advisor here. Do I need to put some cash on a little plus 280 for the young man from Arizona to win Rookie of the Year? Your thoughts? I'm actually surprised it's still at plus 280. I know Ben Caro's been good, but Matherin's played more and has been fantastic all season. It seems like he would be the favorite right now. So I, I, I would think that would be a smart move, yeah. I kind of felt the same way uh, because Ben Caro was minus 475, and that really surprised me wow. just from a Vegas odds standpoint. I would have thought – actually, to be honest with you, I had thought – and I haven't seen a ton of Ben Caro this year. I had still thought from – maybe I have too much Pacers hype in my veins. I thought he was the favorite. I didn't realize that it was clearly – or I didn't realize it was Ben Caro, and I definitely didn't realize it was clearly Ben Caro in terms of the way Vegas is saying things. But – I mean, if he keeps playing like he does in terms of Matherin, another solid performance against a Warriors team, even though they were a little shorthanded, uh, how'd you feel about, let's focus just on Matherin to start his performance last night? Yeah, he can. He always finds a way to you know adjust through his struggles and bounce back, and that stands out to be so much about him throughout this season as both a young player and a rookie. That's an unusual skill to have, right? He's had... A rough month of December. A rough is even harsh to say, but you know, for his standards, uh, uh, a substandard month of December. And then to have this game against the champs, where he scores 24 and hits a bunch of huge shots, and is you know using the coaching that Rick Carlisle gave him the practice the day before on you know taking in rhythm threes is just so impressive. And not only did he play really well, obviously 24 points is huge. He was a plus 34 in 36 minutes, which means in the 12 minutes he was out. They lost by like 28 or something, which is crazy. 
um, you know, is that he was huge in key moments, right? When the Warriors won this huge run in the third quarter, they cut it from 20 down all the way to three. Matherin checks in, and immediately they're up 13, right? Like he saved the game in that instance. He had some huge buckets early in the second quarter when the Pacers started their surge. Like he was not only playing well in terms of numbers, he was playing well in huge moments when the game was kind of hanging in the balance and the Pacers really needed him. Tony, it's BK. Second quarter last night, was that the most impressive quarter of the year? I would think so, yeah. 47 points is nuts. And the Warriors, for all the struggles they've had this year, they're still a really good defensive team. To be able to you know, put up that much in one quarter on the defending chances is so impressive. And you know, the Warriors sent out a note at halftime that that's the most they've given up in a quarter uh, this season and the most they've given up in a half, in a first half, excuse me, this season. The Pacers just tore them up, right? And they were playing at their absolute best, to me, stylistically in that quarter, right? Halliburton, I think, had 17 points in that quarter alone and four assists. And he's always said, you know, they want to be a transition team, right? They want to run and, and hit you when they're moving fast. That's why they try to inbound the ball. The second it goes out of bounds, they run into the stand and grab it. And in that quarter, they were doing that a bunch. But part of being a good transition team is you have to get stops. And they haven't always been able to be that kind of team consistently. In that quarter, they held the Warriors, and mostly every Warrior except for Steph Curry, to off an off quarter and only gave up, I think, 26 or, or 28 points in that frame, right? So they combined the good defense with the offense. They played the way they always say they wanted to play. They looked really connected. That was maybe the most impressive quarter they've had all year, given who they were playing against and the way they did it. Tony East, nice enough to join us. You can find his work in a variety of different places, Locked On Pacers, as well as for Forbes and a number of different areas as well. Tony, for your observations last night, uh, earlier in the week, Coach Carlisle talked about how he was not worried about Tyrese Halliburton, rightfully so. His plus-minus was still really sharp in that loss against Miami, and then he was back to his usual self against the Warriors, where did you see that bounce-back performance in terms of just his overall night against a Warriors team? Again, as we mentioned, was shorthanded, but still an opportunity for Halliburton to make an impact yet again. Yeah, this is what he does, right? Like, he is really good, like Matherin, too, at assessing what's going wrong and fixing it. He even told us himself at practice on Tuesday, right? He, he looked at the tape. They played Miami. He missed every shot he took, right? It was the worst shooting game of his career. He only had six assists. Buddy Heald, who's played every game of his career with Albert, and said, yeah, I think that's the worst game he's ever played. Not in a mean way, just you know, discussing the performance. And Halberton said, yeah, I got to be more aggressive, right? Like, it, it was tough because the Heat were all over him and Bam Adebayo was switching and making his life incredibly difficult. But the Heat did a fantastic job making his life hard. He had to be more aggressive t- to beat them, and he couldn't do it. And he acknowledged that himself. So what does he do? Well, two nights later against the Warriors, right, third most shots he's taken in a game this season with 17 against Golden State. He got to the foul line a bunch and took seven free throws, which is the third most he's taken in a game this season. And obviously making a lot of those shots makes you look really good, but he recognized that the way that he were defending him made him play too passive, and they moved him off ball, which allowed him to have that great plus-minus that you noted. But he, he needed to play more like Tyrese Albert, be more aggressive, make the offense hum, be the guy that he thinks he can be, the leader of this team, and he really did that in a big moment. And I think that was so impressive that all season long he finds a way to do that, right? When Chris Duarte is having his third point game, right, that was the second fewest shots Albert's taken in the game this season. So he knows when he needs to defer. He knows when he needs to – you know, pass and be a 15 assist guy, like against the Lakers on the road trip, for example. Like every time a game starts, he quickly figures out what his role or need is in that game, and he does it. And he did that again against the Warriors, and bouncing back after, you know, maybe his worst game ever was extremely impressive. 
Tony, Andrew Nemhard, quiet but relatively efficient. Four or six from the field, eight points, three rebounds last night, and three assists. I want to ask you about a soundbite that Rick Carlisle said it was a few days ago, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he mentioned something along the lines of Andrew Nemhard has been one of either the most coachable or most easiest guys as a rookie he's had since he was in Detroit with Tayshawn Prince. I, I just wanted to get your reaction to that soundbite because that's a pretty telling statement, I feel like. Yeah, Dustin uh, Doprak from the Indy Star asked him if he's you know, had a rookie who's defended this well or capably consistently and uh, the first name that Rick Carlisle said was Tayshawn Prince, and it's kind of been reported, I think, by Tim McMahon of ESPN Sense that you know part of Carlisle not lasting as long in Detroit as, as uh, every other stop was that he didn't play Prince as much as the organization necessarily wanted. So mm-hmm. he, he even then he thought he thought Tayshawn was unbelievable, but that was kind of funny to me in my head that now he trusts Nembard so much, right? He starts for him every game. He's on the perimeter. They're getting him more on ball reps. Like he's been fantastic for the Pacers this season in a way that I don't think many expected, right? Even Jalen Sucks, his teammate at Gonzaga, who I talked to when the Magic were here, said, yeah, you know, he, he was really good when I was his teammate, but I didn't expect him to be this level of perimeter defender right away. Like, he's just so coachable on that end of the floor. His verticality is impressive. His foot speed's impressive. And, you know, to be mentioned in the same breath as a rookie, as, as Tayshaun Prince, a, a multi-time champion, and one of the better, you know, defenders ever is, is extremely impressive. It says a lot about both Nembard and Carlisle's memory that he could draw back that far that fast. Tony, in your opinion, again, this isn't a massive deal, I don't think, because he's still making contributions. Uh, he's viewed, or at least was viewed in the running as a candidate or maybe a front runner for sixth man of the year. But Matherin, 29 games played, just the one start. I know a lot of that has been situational, and, and the Pacers have a nice thing going with the lineup they're out there. But do you expect those opportunities to come more for Matherin here in the final two-thirds of the season? Or is this role for this year for him likely to be first guy off the bench making an impact that way? Yeah, I think for now it's going to continue to be first guy off the bench. Right? And he, like even last night, for example, he played 36 minutes, right? It's not like right. him coming off the bench is this massive hindrance to his minutes total. And still to this moment of the season, over half of his playing time is still with Tyrese Halliburton, like, in general, the Pacers are still doing a good job of prioritizing, getting him in situations that are good for his development, finding lineups that work for him while still having the, the rotation that makes the most sense for them. And Carlisle's kind of maintained the whole season what I think is correct, that you know he, he should come off the bench. It's the best for the team, right? Their starting lineup, despite it literally starting games pretty horribly all year, is still a net positive because it's so good in the third and fourth quarters and even late in the second. And when Matherin comes in that group, has been really impressive, and it lets him, Matherin, go against bench players when he checks in. It lets the rotation be balanced in a way where Buddy Heald and Halliburton can use their chemistry together. It's just worked, right? And, and so Carlisle's point's kind of been, why would we start, right? Like, what's the point when everybody's in kind of the optimal position? It's still working for us, and we can still play everybody as much as we want with who we want them to, and I kind of think that makes sense. So maybe next season, maybe later in this season if there's a trade, I don't know when the exact timing would be, but – at some point, right, Rick has said this too. He said, yeah, he's going to start at some point. Like, he's a special rookie. But right now, I think everybody's kind of in the right spot for what the Pacers are wanting to do. Tony East is joining us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snow blowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Tony, any concern to Jalen Smith's quiet month? He's only been in double figures three times in December. November, he was much better. But last night, four points and six rebounds. He just hasn't felt like his same self, Tony, that we got used to late in last season? Yeah, he definitely has had 
kind of an off season, really, compared to how he good he was after the trade last year. He was knocking down threes. He looked mobile, and I think that some of it the Pacers are starting to address and realize that he's better playing the five than the four, right? And and he's had a lot of uh, off performances trying to fit in, figure out what he can do, chase guys on the perimeter. Well, very recently, as in two games ago, they changed their starting lineup, right? Aaron Neesmith now starts at the four, and Jalen Smith is now the backup five. The loser of that exchange is Isaiah Jackson, who is currently not in the rotation. But Jalen Smith now is playing the five with the second unit, and the shots still aren't falling. I think he missed every shot against the Heat, and I forget how many points he had last night but he had I think a couple blocks and six rebounds and limited minutes against Golden State so I think that what they're doing now is going to help him where his role will be the five he can be in on the inside more he can this is kind of the role he had last year with the Pacers he can defend on the interior more his rebounding is more valuable down there he doesn't have to run around the perimeter as much on the offensive end I think that will help him and Neesmith's done well and defensively especially with the starting group so I think that this will help the team in general but I agree that Smith's had a lot of struggles this year. He hasn't really fit in at the four spot. He's struggled to have an impact, put the ball in the basket, had some ugly moments on on really both ends of the floor. And he's had some really impressive nights, too, like on the road trip. But the, the consistency hasn't been there. That was a concern coming into the season. And I think them moving into the reserve five could help go a long way in helping him. Tony East, nice to take some time with us here on the Mower Shop in Fisher's Hotline. You can go to the Mower Shop dot com or head to the motor shop in fishers for all your residential commercial mower needs as well as snowblowers services repairs and so much more at the motor shop in fishers or the motor shop.com you can follow tony on twitter at t east nba tony looking a little big picture here you and i uh you were kind enough to have me on locked on pacers uh shortly after the draft uh, earlier this year and we talked a little bit about the direction of the franchise where we wanted to see things go and at the time and i've shared that you know, I was wrong with where the Pacers were going to be, but I was still in the Victor Wembanyama uh, dreamscape, so to speak. I know the Pacers are, at least at this point, out of the running for that and would have a hard-pressed time of getting back into that based on where they are and how talented this group is. But you've seen a third of the season now. Is this group closer to playoff team caliber, or are they closer to a team that's not at the front of the lottery but a lottery team by the end of the season? I think they're closer to a lottery team. They're not that far from it now. I mean, they're still, even with a really impressive and exciting start, you know, they they were, I think, four games over 100 in mid-November. Like, right now, they're seventh in the East still, right? Like, they're in the play, and right now they're, they're a two-game two tournament loss away for being in the lottery right now, even with the season that they've had. And they haven't played any of the top three teams in the East as of now. Like, they, they haven't played some of the teams at the top of the West. In fact, most of them, although they did beat New Orleans, right? So I think that their schedule will get harder. They have more road games than home games the rest of the way, I think, by one. Like, I don't expect them to be a playoff team this season, even though they have been much better than even I expected and ahead of schedule. Certainly, they're a better team than basically everybody predicted before the season. I don't think they're quite a playoff team all yet. I think they're going to settle in somewhere between that 10 and 14 pick range, which is certainly a no-fun spot to be. Uh, you're kind of hoping the lottery gods can smile upon you and, and move you up in this loaded draft. But they, they've had a surprising season, certainly, and, and maybe are closer to contention than they thought before it started. Tony, your latest tweet was regarding Aaron Neesmith and how he's played excellent defense so far for the Pacers this season. You can always count on him defending, but sometimes like when he's open, you're like, take the shot when he's open. But he's been aggressive on the offensive end lately for the Indiana Pacers. What does Neesmith bring uh, both offensively and defensively now to the Pacers now that he's been inserted inside the starting lineup? 
Yeah, the, the new thing he's added to his game this year is ball handling, right? With the Celtics, it was mostly mostly catch. It's not that he wasn't dribbling much at all, but you know, that's been a new thing for him is putting the ball on the floor once or twice, and it hasn't always gone well, but that added dimension does kind of change the way he's defended, change what he's allowed to and asked to do. And Rick Carlisle's pretty good about this. You know, if he puts you in the game, you know, he trusts you to shoot and dribble and make decisions, right? He wouldn't put you out there in situations where he doesn't trust you to do those things. So the fact that he is now starting these with the force kind of a ringing endorsement of his uh, offensive added skills this year, and he's been kind of hot shooting the ball since they got back home from their long road trip, and adding those skills has certainly helped them on that end of the forfeit. And all he needs to do when he plays with, you know, Nembard's creation and Halberd's creation and Turner's screening is, you know, one dribble moves and, take the open shot or move the ball immediately or cut at the right times, right? Stuff that is, you know, you, you'll get the ball if you're open on this Pacers team, and he's done a really good job fitting in with that group so far, which has been an impressive part of their, you know, last couple of games that they changed the starting five, and both Neesmith and Smith have looked good in a new role. And you know, Neesmith, uh, obviously the shot hasn't been there all year. It's still a 53% true shooting, but his defense and offense combined have both kind of been a little bit above the expectation I had for him, and I think the Pacers are happy that, they got a wing in that Brogdon trade that can help them kind of right away. Tony, we were talking about the five-game stretch that's coming up. Cleveland, New York, and then three on the road, Boston, Miami, and New Orleans. That's three straight on Christmas week. Is that a three-and-two, five-game stretch possibly for this team? Can they do it? Uh, it's going to be tough, right? The Knicks, who have this perception of not being the best team this year, have, have won five in a row. They're quietly sixth in the Eastern Conference, right? The Celtics look really good the Cavaliers look really good going three and two in that stretch would be very very impressive you know from the Pacers who they've done a really good job responding to uh, you know their losses recently but they haven't won two games in a row since I think November 21st and 19th and both of those wins were against Orlando so going against the top of the west and top of the east the team that just beat them third in the east and a team on a five-game win streak that's a tough stretch uh certainly even though that they could be better than some of those teams We'll see how it ultimately settles out. I think they can beat Cleveland at their best. I think they can beat the Knicks, right? They've already beaten the Pelicans and the Heat. So it's very possible they do, you know, three and two, two and three in that stretch. But it's going to be tough. You know, teams have kind of figured out ways they can defend Halliburton and Matherin better and, and strategies that work better against the Pacers. And it, we'll, we'll see how they settle in against these teams, especially the Heat, who really figured out how to slow the Pacers. Tony, to build off of that, in that same vein, Brent and I were talking earlier, and we've done this a couple times this week, and I know Pacers fans have these same conversations, is what the future is going to hold? It's been a question I feel bad for him because I like him a lot. For the last five years, what the future is going to hold for Miles Turner? How much does this stretch and really the next two to three weeks of the season, if it all moved the needle for you on the front office's decision-making for if they want to try to keep Turner around and maybe extend him in the offseason – or if this is a team that's going to wind up dealing just Turner for this exercise uh, before the deadline. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, right? Today's the unofficial start of trade, murmur, season, whatever you want to call it, since many guys who signed contracts in the offseason can now be traded in the league. And, and Turner's going to be the name most talked about for the Pacers, and he always has been, right? Pretty much since Sabonis has started his ascent in 2017-18, the year after following, whenever it was. You know, Turner's been been talked about a lot. Can this two-center pairing work? Should they move him? Should they move this other guy? And then, you know, even last year, that there were murmurs about a trade before he got hurt. This offseason, again, this year, like, it, it keeps popping up. But to me, it, his play is obviously important, right? Him being good is crucial to his future in the league and with the Pacers. His fit with Halliburton and Matherin is, of course, very important. But the most important part is his contract, right? No matter how much, how good this goes, 
unless the Pacers feel like they're going to win a postseason series this year, right? The, the big consideration, and Miles even said this himself on the Woj Pod, is his contract expires after this season, right? And they, they would lose him for nothing if he signs with a different team as a free agent this summer. And, and that's a big risk. And even Turner said, like, that would look bad for them if that ends up happening. And he is extension eligible right now. I'm sure the Pacers would love to have discussions with him if he's open to it. But if he doesn't agree or doesn't want to and he wants to hit free agency, then you know it's a really big risk for the Pacers to hold on to him up to that point. So even if he's playing well and fits really well, they almost have to explore the market just given his contract situation, right? They traded Oladipo when they were, I think, 8-3 and three or 8-4 and four at the start of you know, the 2020-21 season because a great opportunity opened up and Oladipo was on an expiring contract and wouldn't commit to an extension, right? We'll see where the parallels in this situation end up being. But I think with Turner, yeah, if he plays well, that's obviously great for the Pacers in terms of what they consider with his future. But I think that a lot of the, the situation has kind of already been decided just by his contract status. If you were moving him, if you're putting on the front office hat, what's more important to you with the state of the franchise right now, getting draft capital back or, or getting – players under team control back it's players under team control has been with this front office has loves to prioritize in the past you know Levert, Sabonis, Oladipo, Warren all the big trades that they make that have worked out really well for them have kind of fit that vein even <laughs> Neesmith right now right? right and they ended up getting Jalen Smith for control but all these guys a lot of the guys they end up trading for fit that mold and right now is a really interesting time though because they have a lot of young players already so adding more in is really hard right it's going to be tricky for them to even navigate the upcoming drafts when they have three first-round picks. How are they going to fit three more young players into the ecosystem and rotation that they already have? They, they, they might not be able to at all. So there is some good arguments for both where, you know, like not far away, but in the future picks might have more value to them because they can, you know, flip it over the time until that draft comes or they could use it farther off in the future when, you know, their team situation is a little more crystal clear and they don't have a ton of draft capital already in tow. But Kevin Pritchard's always loved to target those young under contracts for a long time kind of player. So I think there's a good argument for both. The only thing I think they should avoid, given that they already have a bunch, three first-round picks next year, is really – really soon upcoming first round picks because their team situation doesn't really allow for anyone they draft in coming drafts to have a big role on this team really soon. Last question for you, Tony. You and I are both Indiana alums. Let's say for the sake of argument, Jalen Hood Shafino plays on Saturday. What do you give the Hoosiers chances wise at the fog against Kansas? Uh, man, I was bummed you couldn't play against Arizona. Yeah. They, they had some good stretches there, race, race hitting those threes, obviously. Maybe not something to expect every game, but maybe gave me some false hope in that game. But, yeah, I think they've got a better shot if he plays, obviously. But Jesus looks really good, man. Grady Dick can play. and So I I don't know if I'd give them more than a 40 35% chance of winning that one. But if they have them, they certainly have a much better chance than if they don't, as we've seen recently. He is Tony Heast. You can find his work at SI Pacers, Forbes as well, uh, Locked on Pacers. Uh, does a great job for the next hoops covering the Indiana Fever, uh, as well as WTHR.com for some of his work. Tony, anything I'm missing there? You got it all. You got it all. Appreciate you always making time for us, Tony, and I'm sure we'll talk to you down the line. You got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. That is Tony East. I, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Tony. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks all around. Thanks, I, I appreciate the things. I'm just being a thankful I, guy. I worked hard during that interview, too. Thank you, yeah. Brendan. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thanks, no, Eddie. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> thank you, fans. On Twitter at T East NBA. You can find all of his coverage for the Indiana Pacers, the Indiana Fever, so much more. Tony does a great job. And Brendan, he has that same line of thinking where. The contract and what the contract's going to be really speaks to the situation of, 
I think what the future is going to hold for Miles ultimately. Uh, while you'd like to think a deal could get done uh, in the offseason or, or whenever they decide to make a move like that, you can't afford to let him walk. And to your point, these next two weeks, these next five or six games even are going to be very telling for where the front office's mentality should be for the rest of this year. I am relatively intrigued and hopeful because as terrible as Golden State has been on the road and without having Clay and Wiggins, the Pacers got out-rebounded by 12 last night and still found a way to win. And that's been that's a, it's a great nugget there because that has been a bit of a bugaboo the last two or three games where maybe they haven't always been losses, but it's been a metric that they've looked at, most notably that game against the Brooklyn Nets uh, just this past weekend. So that, that's, a, that's a promising sign, I agree. Is it hopeful to me? Yes. Is it concerning that Miles had two rebounds last night? Also, yes. But still, if you can tough out a game, especially in the league, when you get out-rebounded by double digits, I mean, at the end of the day, that's some coaching. That, that's yep. some coaching by, by Rick Carlisle. So, shout out, Rick. This is a... Look, Miles Turner is is 26 years old. He is he's a fascinating player. I, I've never been... An anti-Miles guy, but I am a, a pro-team guy in the sense that if you have an opportunity to try to scrape anything up that can build your future better and you don't see Miles as a part of it long-term, I think you make that deal. I think you you can't say getting younger in this situation because, again, he's only 26 years old, which is wild. It feels like Turner should be in his 30s, but he is only 26 years old. And there are plenty of teams around the league that I think would give, not a war chest, but they would give high-value assets to acquire him if he's available on the open market. I've always been a Miles guy, not as much not so much as others, but I've I'll always be a Miles defender because when the trade happened last year, I was always saying it's got to be Sabonis to go. He's the more tradable guy for your team too because the second that you get rid of Miles is the second that defensively this team's going to be a turnstile in the post and you cannot have that. Yes, without knowing what they get back, right? I, I, I just don't think you're going to get back an all-star center. You're, you're not, but I also give enough credit to Rick Carlisle and his staff that you can't replicate it in the sense that there's not going to be drop-off. There'll definitely be drop-off, but it would be enough in my mind where you could stabilize it, assuming you got players back and not draft capital. He just brings a, a specific set of skills that is very hard to replace in the league, and as much as he has been injured... I just think the defense would suffer the moment you get rid of them. I mean, they're giving up <laughs> they're, in terms of points per game. They're giving. They're It'd already giving up. Terrible. I mean, it's, it's already bad. Yeah. Right. Like it's towards the bottom of the league in terms of points per game. They're giving up. Uh, we'll see. That's going to be a fun one to continue to monitor as the season unfolds. Coming up next, bottom of the hour territory, Nick Gardner, color analyst for the Butler Bulldogs Radio Network, longtime color analyst. Always good to catch up with Nick as the Bulldogs got a massive tilt against the Yukon Huskies at Hinkle Fieldhouse this weekend. Nick Gardner, Butler Bulldogs Radio Network, here with Jimmy Cook and Brendan King next. Very nice, Eddie. I'll tell you what. When you were on the bus in second grade during our generation, this was banging on the radio. Heck of a time. Heck of a time. Brendan King with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison's on the ones and twos. Big matchup. 
at Hinkle on Saturday night, 7 o'clock, the number three Connecticut Huskies, a rematch of the 2011 National Championship game. Here to break it down is the radio analyst on the Butler Bulldogs radio network, along with the man himself, Mark Minner. It is Nick Gardner. Nick, it's BK. Great to catch up, and that should be a fun one at Hinkle on Saturday night. Yeah, hey, BK. How you doing, man? Um, it, it should be. It's uh, it's quite the opener for the dogs, obviously, and um, UConn is has been impressive thus far. It, it's it's certainly tuning up to be a fantastic Saturday night at Hinkle Fieldhouse. What a big East opener for them. Nick, it's Jimmy. Uh, Bulldogs, winners of four in a row. Uh, that all started in the Big East Big 12 battle with that win against Kansas State. Sustained a lot of runs uh, from Kansas State in that game before ultimately pulling away. And then have taken care of business uh, over these tests against the likes of Tennessee Tech, Yale, and on the road at Cal. Uh, what's been your biggest takeaway from this four-game streak for the Dogs, and how can they carry it in Tinkle Fieldhouse against UConn? Well, I think, number one, you're um... – just the the fact that Coach Mott has been able to kind of ride the same guys, right? He's been playing basically six guys, maybe seven at times. Miles Tate has been out, so really haven't been able to have that backup point guard. And just been impressive with those guys, their ability to stay on the floor. And obviously I think the importance of Manny Bates, he's huge in every game, uh, but his ability to hold things down on the interior, both offensively and defensively, uh, he's been as consistent uh, of a player for Coach Mata. Um, and I think that role is kind of amplified when you look at the matchup with UConn. But um, Manny Bates, just his shot-blocking ability and the ability to get him the basketball on the block and feel really good about the shot you're going to get um, has been impressive. And I think over that, you know, those four games Jimmy mentioned, uh, we haven't seen kind of those lulls or those lapses um, where you go five, six minutes without a field goal. And, and if you did have them, you were able to counter them with getting stops. And so the consistency uh, of play has, has really gotten there and it's gotten better over this four-game stretch, that's for sure. Nick, you brought up the guy I wanted to talk about, and that's Manny Bates. Ever since he dropped that double-double in his first game as a Bulldog, I think everybody realized what this guy can do. But, Nick, I think he's also been the type of player that's been on Butler fans' wish list for a long, long time. A guy that can defend like that in the post, a guy that you can just toss the ball to, and it's almost automatic when he backs down a guy. Just how lethal is that going to be, you think, for the offense to be able to throw it down to Manny when they get healthy, when you get a guy like Ali Ali back, when you get a guy like Jalen Thomas that can back him up if he gets in the foul trouble? I mean, this offense should be running on all cylinders if and when they get healthy. Well, there's no doubt. Um, you know, I think you've seen... And, and it's been a little bit of an adjustment, right, to have a such a big presence in there. You know, guys like Chuck Harris and Jaden Taylor and Eric Hunter Jr., well, maybe not Eric as much because he was coming into a new situation, but those guys aren't necessarily used to having that big body in there and, and still being able to find driving angles. Certainly it's opened up the three-point shooting. You look at the numbers, uh, just the raw numbers. Uh, those guys are shooting the basketball much better, and I, I think you're hard-pressed not to say that Manny Bates' presence hasn't affected the quality of those looks. Uh, but I think they've evolved a little bit as far as figuring out, look, when, when, when to take those threes when they're open because of the presence that Manny has on the interior. And then also when to attack those closeouts. Um, because of Manny's ability to score, he has been seeing some double teams. You've seen them. They've, they've doubled with guys on the baseline side. They've doubled from different areas to try to get the basketball out of his hands. And that's another area that Manny's really impressed me. He's uh, – 
so many times those big guys get a touch and they're not giving it up no matter what coverage they see. Whether it's the right play or not, um, they're, they're going to go ahead and go to work. And with Manny, he just reads and reacts, stays really calm. His demeanor is even keeled. Um, and he's going to make the right basketball play to get his team the best shot. And I think you're seeing the quality of those looks have been much better. And you would expect them to continue to do that, as you said, with the return of some of those, those healthy bodies down the line. Uh, but there's no doubt it's opened things up on the perimeter for both driving angles, uh, for shooting, um, and it's created rotations because of, uh, of the fact that he's warranted a double team at times. Nick, this is a heck of a Big East opener for the dogs. We, we all know about Hinkle Magic. We know some special things can happen in that building, but obviously welcome in the third-ranked team in the country in UConn, and this is a Butler team underneath Coach Mata that is clearly hungry to get back to the NCAA tournament. We want the win. You want a signature win, of course, on the resume. But in terms of a barometer check at this point in the season against a top-five team in UConn, what do you need to see from the Dogs against the Huskies that would lead you to assume a, a promising Big East season is to unfold for Butler this year? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, obviously, like you said, Jimmy, you want, you want to get the win. But I think more what, what I would do is kind of compare it uh, to some of the other high-level opponents that you faced. And, and really, you go back to this quality, you probably have to go back and say that game against Tennessee down in the Bahamas where, look, you were, you were right there, you were playing tough, you were playing stout for, you know, 23, 25 minutes, um, and then they go on a big 17-1 run and kind of stretch it out. You just didn't have that consistent play. And that's something that I mentioned earlier that is, has, has gotten better since that trip. Uh, you've done it against some other high major opponents. You've been able to have some more complete games. And so can you extend that complete play uh, to a little bit longer stretch? Can you do it for 40? Um, can you do it for longer stretches and not have that lull? And, and in turn, does that set you up to, to put you in, pos- in position to win that game late? So I, I think that's the biggest thing. The other thing, um, you know, this is really going to be the test. You talk, we talk about Manny Bates' impact. He, he's not going to have a much tougher challenge uh, throughout Big East play than he ha- he's going to have against this UConn front line. So can you know can can you kind of withstand with the shorter rotation playing against a deeper, bigger opponent in UConn that's going to throw some multiple bodies at, at, at your five or six guys that you're kind of riding throughout. So that's those are kind of the key points to look at. Uh, but boy, the game within the game, Sonogo versus Manny Bates is going to be a heck of a battle to watch. Absolutely. Nick Gardner, the radio analyst for Butler Basketball, with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Nick, the Thad Mata effect, I'm a Butler season ticket holder, so I'm at practically every game. Just to hear the ovation that Thad gets every time his name is introduced by Dave Peach, I think is awesome. It's great that Thad is home. But when it comes to a coaching perspective, is there anything... Nick, in particular, you think he has brought to the table most for this team and what they do that maybe has been missing in recent years? Um, that's a good question. I think I think the way that, the thing that's unique, I would say, about Coach Mott is he he has a way of instilling a confidence in his guys with his belief in them um, that they can go play with that freedom and, and kind of play really loose and. I think many times what he's done is he's kind of kept it really simple. Um, he, he wants to play faster. Um, he's obviously he's, he's kind of shortened that rotation. He's got a group of guys that he likes to go with and, and feels good about. Um, so I think in many ways what he's done is just kind of simplify things 
taken away uh, maybe some of uh, the thought and said, hey, just trust what you do, believe in what, what you do and the work you put in, and go out there and play and, and play to win. And so, um, you know, it's, inter- it's, it's hard to put a finger on it exactly, but it, it's, it's one where I just think his ability to instill that confidence and belief in his guys, um, where it's like, yes, the X's and the O's matter. Um, that stuff is important. The technique, you know, the technical aspect of how you're going to, you know, cover certain actions is important, and you've got to have a certain baseline with that. But, but what he's done is say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try and keep it really simple for you, and, and we're going to let you go play and play aggressive and play fast and, and, and trust kind of the work that we put in. I think that's been, that's been a, a neat thing to see, and I think you're seeing kind of the production of some of those guys take off uh, under that style of coaching. Nick, they referenced this on the FS1 broadcast against Kansas State. I know uh, the Indy Star has an article out about him as well. But what's it been like uh, for Coach Mata's staff and for the players on this roster to have a figure like Greg Oden there? Uh, it's, I mean, you talk about what a resource, right? This is a guy who has experienced a lot. And it's not only within the field of play. It's, it's a lot of the stuff outside of it. Um, and look, it's not like, like those guys are able to kind of work in on the court more with some of the, the, the skill work and whatnot. So, um, you know, number one, you're having to, to kind of work against and finish over a guy of that size and stature. And, and obviously he's got some ability with his pass. Um, but I tell you what, Greg Oden is one of the nicest human beings you could ever come across. Um, he's as humble as they come. Uh, he's a guy who's fantastic to pick, pick his brain and, and just learn about some things, you know. People forget this guy. He played, obviously went to the Trailblazers and whatnot, but he had some time down in Miami with LeBron and D-Wade and Bosh when they were down there in their last year. So he's got some fantastic tales and stories from his time. But um, just a guy who has been and seen a lot of things and played in a lot of big games. And then you compound that with, with just his demeanor and the type of guy he is. He's a fantastic resource for those guys to have. And, and it's, been, it's been really fun getting to know him. Uh, he's a fantastic guy, and, and he's got a lot to share that can help uh, guys individually and the program as a whole. Nick, I want to get back to something we were discussing earlier, and Butler getting hopefully more healthy as we go along after Christmas. Jalen Thomas still has not played. Ali Ali, John Michael Malloy has been on the shelf. You mentioned Miles Tate. Uh, specifically, the guys like Thomas and Ali, I think we saw it with Bo Hodges that it, it could be difficult for any player to just ramp up and go right in the Big East play and expect to compete in such a high-pressure environment in these road games. I mean, the second Big East game, for goodness sakes, Nick, is at Creighton, and, and we know how tough it is to play there. But uh, just, as a former player, how difficult is it maybe if you're dealing with an injury to just be expected to jump into conference play if you're in Ali or Thomas and, and you're expected to perform and just jump in and rattle with the big boys down low? Yeah, it's, it, it is. It's difficult because there's no way around it. I mean, you, you know, you're talking about a group um, where roles, you know, you've, you've kind of started to etch your role out, you know, now that you're 11 games into a season. Um, so it's not as easy as just plug and play because, um, look, things change. Guys bring different dynamics to the, to the court. Guys bring different, um, different aspects to the lineup. And so – it's difficult. Ideally, you'd like them to have some time to maybe work themselves back in. But at the same time, I, I think you trust that those guys are good players. Um, they've been studying. You know, Jalen Thomas is a guy who um, he's always he, – he's taken those mental reps. You can tell. Even though he hasn't been as active, 
he's in there. So hopefully it doesn't take him as long to get caught up to speed on, on some of the technical aspects of it and, and, and game planning aspects. Um, but you've got to still rely on their skill because um, wh- whether you want time or not, you just don't have it right now. And those guys are probably going to be needed. It, it's, you're going to be hard-pressed to go through a Big East season and not think at some point along the way you're going to have to go a little deeper into that bench because of foul trouble, availability, whatever it may be. Um, and so it is going to be difficult, but I think you rely on the skills of those guys, Brendan, and, and in doing so, there's just frankly a need um, because it, all the, it's like the injuries have hit one area on this team. And so uh, you really don't have the luxury of having that time to, to kind of integrate them. You've got to trust that they've been doing their mental reps and just kind of bring them along as you can. Uh, but it certainly is going to be a challenge, as you mentioned, with these first two uh, Big East openers. They don't get much tougher than that unless you had to go to UConn, right, and didn't have them coming to Hinkle. So um, you're going to have to just kind of throw them, throw feet to the fire right away. And, and the good part is, you know, those guys, they aren't freshmen coming right back. They do have some experience at this level. They just don't have that experience with this group of guys. Nick, the Bulldogs just giving up uh, 25%, give or take, uh, from three-point range to opponents. Uh, That's over the last eight. Is that something that is sustainable against a team like UConn and over the course of of the meat of Big East play? And if so, uh, how do they bottle that up and put it together against UConn uh, this weekend? Um, I think it is. I don't know if it's sustainable at that level because I do think um, once you get into the Big East, there may be a little trade-off, right? Like, can you continue to defend the three-point arc at that rate without just giving up easy two-point shots? Because, you know, typically, you know, the bigs aren't going to be as good in some of the, you know, the mid-major, the low-major leagues. And so it's, it's even more difficult for some of those teams to sustain success without making threes at the Big East level. Adama Sanogo can probably go get you 30 or 35 from two if he needs to, right? So, so you've got to kind of toe that line a little bit. Um, but I would say that is an area. Look, you look at college basketball guys in general, you're hard-pressed to find anybody that can win without making threes. I don't care what your, your makeup is on your roster. I don't care if you're heavily relying on them or not. When you just have to survive off twos and ones from the free throw line, it is hard to close out games over a 40-minute period in doing so. You need that release and that efficiency of making a few threes in there. So um, I think any time you can try to choke guys off or choke opponents off from that three-point line, you're going you're gonna to put yourself in a better spot. Uh, you just can't do so uh, by risking really, really easy twos. You're still going to make them earn those twos while you're protecting that three-point arc. Nick Gardner, the radio analyst for Butler Basketball with us. Nick, this is my last one. Just the state of the Big East now. It's been pretty unique and pretty entertaining to watch all the coaching changes and the fresh faces in the Big East this year. I mean, you think about Thad here at Butler. You think about Sean Miller back at Xavier, Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall, Kyle Neptune succeeding Jay Wright at Villanova, and then you pair that with you know the classics like Ed Cooley at Providence and Greg McDermott still at Creighton. I mean, I'm still getting used to seeing Shaka Smart on the sidelines at Marquette. Nick, just the state of the Big East right now, it seems like the future is bright from not only a recruiting perspective, but you're going to see some pretty good ball games down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's a little unique. I think in years past, it was kind of everybody uh, was tipping their cap to Villanova and saying, all right, who, who can kind of challenge them or, or, or come in behind them to try and get to the top of that league? And now it's maybe a little more wide open. Um, UConn certainly looks really good. 
um, off the start. Creighton had a great start. They've come back down a little bit. They played a tough schedule, certainly, but you know they lost, I think, five straight now after their loss at Arizona State earlier this week. Um, so once again, it, it, it's probably going to be all bunched up right in the middle. And, and so who can go get – who can go win a game at Creighton? Um, who can go in – to, to Providence and beat Ed Cooley's team. Like, those are the games that can separate you in the league. And, and we've seen it countless times where, you know, one win can jump you up two, three, four places in seeding uh, by separating yourself from a group and kind of in that middle of that pack in that four to eight range or that three to seven range. And so um, I think it's going to come down to one game here or there. But the, but the thing that, again, over these last four games – Butler has shown an ability to improve on their consistency. You know, they've been able to, to, to kind of check, check each box and stack up those improvements on top of each other. And although Cal wasn't, um, you know, they haven't gotten a win this year, to be able to prove that you can travel and go play your game on the road, I thought that was a big step for Butler. And that's absolutely going to be the separator here in Big East play. Who can travel, who can go on the road, play their game, get some victories away from their home building, I think that can separate you in the standing, and, and that can be the difference between a top half or a bottom half finish. Nick Gardner, the radio analyst for Butler Basketball. Him and Mark Minner make a terrific team. Nick, hope you and Mark have a great call on Saturday. I will see you there, and uh, let's see if the dogs can get it done. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Have a good one. Thanks, Nick. You That's too, Nick. Nick Gardner, the radio analyst for Butler Basketball on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Jake Cook, BK, Eddie Garrison in the studio with you. We're coming back next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Quick one on the fan before we get to Tom Lemming to talk a little Purdue and a little big picture college football. Kevin Bowen tweeting about 40 minutes ago at KBO in 1070. Jeff Saturday rules out two Colts for Colts Vikes. Kenny Moore and Mike Strawn. Strawn with a concussion. Kenny Moore with the ankle out. BK, uh, does that impact you in any way, shape, or form? Well, the wide receiver room was already thin. Uh, I, I don't think Kenny has had the year, and we'd probably be first, the first to tell you he hasn't had the year that he has wanted to, but when you are facing that wide receiver core and you got to have Stephon Gilmore already on Justin Jefferson, you're going to need all hands on deck. So that's a little concerning. Very concerning. 3% chance is in jeopardy. We're going to take a break. We come back. Tom Lemming of CBS Sports going to join us, talk a little college football. His reaction, big picture nationally, to Purdue hiring Ryan Walters as their next head coach. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on The Fan. Now pitching for the Yankees, number 42, Mariano Rivera. I'll tell you what, enter Sandman from Eddie Garrison only comes out for the highest praises of guests. And making his debut. On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, we are glad to have him. My guy from CBS Sports, Tom Lemming, college football insider, college football recruiting expert, and the publisher of what I have in my hands right now, Tom Lemming's Prep Football Report. Y'all on the YouTube chat can see this. This is probably the most comprehensive recruiting football book in the country. Here in Indiana, we have 
uh, the Indiana Football Digest, which is put together by the great Paul Condry. But this is a national perspective of everything you need to know. And the guy that writes it every summer, again, is Tom Lemming from CBS Sports, joining us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Tom, it's Brendan. Great to chat, my friend. And I know you are in the state of Mississippi right now after uh, your friend of many years, Mike Leach, passed away. So, Tom, I just want to give you the floor right now. And, um, you know, what has this week been like for you and you as you remember your friend? I met him. Uh, we had the same agent, and uh, the New York Times had done a story a story on him one week and a story on me the next week, and he wanted to talk to me. And our agent, uh, Gary O'Hagan, set us up. This is back around 2000, or right when he took the job at Texas Tech, and we've stayed close friends ever since. And he was an amazing guy. It just uh, He could speak on any subject. He was that intelligent and witty and funny and just a great guy to be with. No matter what I did, when I showed up, I filmed with him in Lubbock, and also I filmed with him in uh, Pullman, Washington, and just this past year in Starkville, Mississippi. And no matter what we talked about, we always had to bring the subject around to football because he'd rather speak on any other subject but football. (laughs) And I'm sort of the same way. And he just a wonderful guy. Uh, When we did it in Lubbock years ago, I had just filmed with Pete Carroll, and I was driving to Lubbock, and our producer flew with the camera crew, and he was desperate to get a hold of Coach Leach. He couldn't reach him for two days, and I called uh, Coach Leach to say, Coach, our producer's trying to reach you because we're filming in the morning, and he got back to me and said, I'm so sorry. Uh, my wife and I were down in Marva, Texas, looking at UFO lights all night. <laughs> so just a different kind of a guy. And um, when we first got in the car to go film, he, instead of doing football, he takes us 45 miles mile south of Lubbock to O'Donnell, Texas, to watch a museum, see a museum that was based on uh, Dan Blocker, who was the star of the TV show Bonanza. A lot of young people don't, probably don't know who he was, <laughs> but he's a big star. And again, we did that. Then the Buddy Holly Museum, and our producer was pulling his hair out saying, "We." Does he know this is a football show and that we got to talk football? And eventually we did get around to football, but not before talking about pirates and JFK uh, conspiracies and the Chicago mob. He was uh, just a wonderful guy to speak to. Tom, it's Jimmy. In that same vein, uh, and, and those were both great right there, whether it's yours or whether it's one that you've heard uh, from secondhand accounts, what is your favorite either story or, or ism uh, from Coach Leach over the years? Well, you know, with him, it's um, we were mainly uh, just off the wall kind of stuff. He's big into the Chicago mob. Uh, this story is really good. It only happened a couple of years ago when he was at uh, WSU. He all of a sudden calls me on a Monday and he says, "Hey, I was watching I think the Reels channel about so and so with the Chicago mob and." this and that. Could you check up on it and see if the story's good? Now, this is just a few days before they start their season, and they're playing Eastern Washington. So I get back to his uh, right-hand man, Dave Emmerich, on Wednesday, and I said, tell Coach that this guy that Joe Pesci played and is supposed to be a representative of a guy from the Chicago mob, and this and that. And then his right-hand man goes, Coach is calling you on that. We got to play Eastern Washington in two days. He goes, what are you worried about? And guess what? They lost to Eastern Washington, and then they win their next ten games. Uh, and that was Coach Leach. He was he was eclectic when it came to subjects and speaking on anything. He could talk on 
any subject, and I don't think football was his number one thing. It just said he was so great at it that obviously he was in demand everywhere. Probably the the best offensive mind in college football. Yeah, Tom, last thing on Coach Leach. When it comes to his legacy and what he started, his coaching tree, that has been widely discussed, who has all learned under Mike Leach. What do you think people are going to remember most when it comes down to it and um, you know, Coach Leach's career? I think if you're a football fan, it's about how great he was no matter where he went. People forget that. He won at Texas Tech when it's very difficult to win, and they really haven't done it since on a consistent basis. He graduated everybody. He led the uh, conference the 10 years at Texas Tech every year and graduating as players. That's something that in football you don't really talk about. Everybody's worried about wins and losses. But he had a great record. Then he goes to Washington State, which is even tougher to, to recruit at because your surrounding states are Idaho and Montana and Wyoming. So he won at those two very difficult places. And even in the Southeast Conference, which is the number one conference in the country when it comes to talent, you know, he wasn't the greatest recruiter, but he still won and had a winning record because he's a great coach. If he had the talent that Georgia or Alabama had, he never would have lost a game. He was that good of a coach. So he just, uh, so I think they're going to remember him on two, people that knew him like I did. You remember him just for his great sense of humor and his ability to speak on any subject and his personality. I never. Here's another thing. I went and filmed with him last November in Starkville. We brought our camera crew on a Sunday afternoon. Less than 24 hours before that, he had lost a game on a short field goal. If they kicked it with 20-something yards, they would have won. They missed it. But when I saw him the next day, most other coaches would have been banging their head on the wall and upset and couldn't talk. He didn't even seem like he was that concerned. He was already on to the next game and doing a great job on our interview. We spent a couple hours there with him. And I don't think he he was the guy that was, in my opinion, a genius when it came to offensive football, but also a guy that didn't uh, take it hard. I think his family and his friends and uh, his other hobbies meant as much or more than football did to him. And that's very unusual when you're talking about a uh, head football coach, particularly at such a high-profile school. Tom, as mentioned, you are a nationwide college football reporter, recruiting analyst for CBS Sports. Your work takes you all across the country. We met in South Bend this summer when you were covering uh, Notre Dame Media Day, got some lunch. You came to the South Bend Cubs Stadium, too, met a couple of the boys, which was awesome. But locally here in Indy right now, Tom, the big conversation is what the Purdue Boilermakers just did, hiring Ryan Walters as their new head coach, coming over after being the Illinois defensive coordinator. Tom, just your thoughts on Purdue making that hire after they went to the Big Ten Championship? game and Jeff Brom goes to Louisville. I think it's a great hire. Uh, Jeff Brom was a good coach, but he was not a great recruiter. He was all right, but not a great recruiter. And I think Ryan's going to be a great recruiter. I was just talking with Barry Odom, who's now the new head coach at UNLV, but they work together at Missouri. And he was saying what a great recruiter he is. And I can see that just this year at Illinois, where he got the attention of a lot of the top defensive players. And before that, Illinois never got the attention of anyone. <laughs> they weren't really considered a player when it came to any of the big-time ball players, but I think he did a great job, and I think what Purdue needs is a great recruiter, because Tom can recruit at Indiana, and obviously Notre Dame recruits itself, but Notre Dame's got Marcus Freeman now, one of the great recruiters nationally, so he's got to compete with them, he's got to compete in the Big Ten, which is becoming more and more competitive, and it will even more so with USC and UCLA gradually working their way in. So I think Purdue got themselves the right guy. 
And I think give them a couple of years to recruit, and I think you're going to see Purdue get right up there with some of the big boys. Tom, with the likes of NIL and the transfer portal, how difficult can it be to navigate uh, for a first-year head coach uh, like Coach Walters, and how important is it to hit the ground running uh, once you know we have all the, the press conferences done and all that's taken care of, but now it's time to get to work and hopefully stabilize a roster uh, for next season? Well, signing day is in, a, in less than a week, so it's going to be difficult for this year, so you can't really – Hopefully he can hang on to some of the guys they've had. But I look for him to have an outstanding year next year. At this time next year, I think people will be talking about what a good job Purdue did because he'll hit the ground running, and he'll hit the ground running for the 2024 class. Fortunately, with the NIL, it's not as bad. If you're in the Southeast Conference and just starting out there, that's got to be awfully tough because they're all over that NIL. But the Big Ten, a little bit different besides Ohio State, which seems to be right now. They, they seem like a Southeast Conference program in the Big Ten, but the rest of them, I think, Purdue, you know, I think it'll be a pretty even ground with the rest of the teams in the conference. Uh, You do have to get a um, situation where you do have some NIL money. Everyone's got to do that and get a, and and sort of have a game plan, and I think Purdue did it uh, under Brom, and I think uh, Ryan will do it even more so, because they know how important it is right now. So the NCAA you know, gets ahead of the situation. It's going to be sort of like the Wild West. When I started in this business back in the late 70s, the Southwest Conference was doing all this kind of stuff. And a lot of it is under the table. A lot of it is over the table. And uh, until everybody gets a hold of it and the NCAA maybe sets some ground rules, it's still going to be the Wild West. And fortunately, the Big Ten's not nearly as bad as uh, uh, the Southeast Conference is at this stage. Tommy took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say the Wild West when UCLA and USC joined the Big Ten and Texas and Oklahoma end up going to the SEC. How are programs like the Purdue's, like the Indiana's, that maybe already lose recruiting battles to teams around them going to be impacted by these monstrous and historic schools joining the likes of Big Ten and SEC-style play? It's going to be difficult, Purdue-Indiana, where there isn't a whole lot of talent. There's some talent, but basically in the Indianapolis area, but if Notre Dame or Ohio State, they normally get the players, the great ones. Um, but I, you got to look at it with a positive uh, spin. Uh, say, hey, we got USC and UCLA coming in. That means we could go out to Los Angeles, the best part of the country when it comes to football talent, Southern California, and start recruiting players there because now we got two of their own schools in our own conference. you got to always spin it positively, even though it could be difficult Um, when it comes to going against power, especially USC, which is a national power, and it's been national power for 75 years. So I think you've got to um, spin it positively. And and you got, you know, you've got Rutgers up in New Jersey, so you can hit New Jersey real hard. you got Maryland, which is another real good state. you just got to expand your recruiting reach uh, when you're Purdue and Indiana, which they've done in the past, but I think even more so now when you got a national uh, program. You're going from coast to coast. You go from New Jersey to California. Now you got teams in your own conference. So you use it on a positive level. And I think if Purdue's got the right frame of mind, and you know Ryan does, I think things are going to be working out great for Purdue. I worry a little bit more about Indiana than I would Purdue. Uh, but, again, Tom Allen's done a good job recruiting, but he's going to have to ex- – their reach is going to have to be uh, extended also. Um, be- when I started in this business 44 years ago, Notre Dame and – Possibly UCLA were the only two national teams. Almost everyone else recruited within a 300-mile radius. Now, 
everyone's got to be a national team if you want to compete. And I think I think Purdue understands that, and they'll uh, I think they'll be ready. Tom Lemming, nice enough to take some time with us today via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and themotorshop.com. You can find all of your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, repairs, services, and so much more at the Motor Shop and Fishers and themotorshop.com. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Lemming Report. Tom, I noticed earlier this month you had an opportunity to talk with one of the top players in the state of Indiana this past football season and the commit to Notre Dame at linebacker in Drake Bowen of Andrean High School. Uh, what was your interaction uh, like with the senior? Well, I do the Butkus Award, so I had a lot of interaction with him. We actually gave it to him, but I'll do the um, I do, when I drive around the country every year it's 15 years now, Dick Butkus asked me to do his high school Butkus Award. First one I gave it to is Manti Teo, Notre Dame guy. Now it's Drake Bowen, who had a phenomenal year in Maryville. They play up, too, because it's a um, smaller school, but they play some of the better schools in Indiana and on offense and on defense. But defense is where I was more concerned since it was the Butkus Award, and he was phenomenal. And um, he was one of the five finalists. I also gave it to Anthony Hill from Texas, but he only played six games. So it came down to five guys, and Drake got the award last week and well-deserved. And he kind of reminds me of some of the um, – NFL linebackers, you see, this guy's got great speed to the ball. He's a terrific all-around athlete. He's one of the best baseball players in the state of Indiana also. So Notre Dame's getting themselves a, quite an athlete, a good student, and a great kid, too. He's easy to talk to. And when Butkus asked me when I picked the award or the nominations, make sure they're good character. And if not, then we don't want them as a Butkus Award winner. And Drake Bowen's got great character, so he's uh, he'll represent the award well. Tom, let's talk about the Irish in South Bend. Marcus Freeman goes into year two. Drew Pine transferring. Tyler Buckner, I guess the returning de facto quarterback. But, Tom, when it comes to getting a transfer at QB for Notre Dame, do you think Marcus Freeman's the type of guy that would go after one of the A-lister type guys out there, like a JT Daniels, like a DJ Uagole? Or would you think Freeman would be the guy to find more like a Jack Cohn type guy that maybe can split QB duties? Well, I think they. Uh, I think that's the big question for Notre Dame. They're bringing in a lot of talent. Marcus Freeman has proven to be one of the premier, one of the top five recruiters in the country. However, they've not been able to do with quarterbacks. I can't think of the last quarterback who sustained a career since maybe Steve Berline, who came out in the, uh, I think around '85. <laughs> so they haven't had a quarterback. I mean, Brady Quinn played a little bit, Jimmy Clausen, but no one that sustained a career. So Notre Dame suffered a lot by not going after the great quarterbacks or at least developing quarterbacks. They got a guy named Kenny Mincy coming in this year and C.J. Carr the next year, but right. it's going to take them a while. So that it's, I think it's imperative that they bring in a Hudson Card from Texas or um, if what's the Wake Forest quarterback leaves, go after him. But bring in a guy that that's a proven quarterback because they have not done a good job at developing quarterbacks at Notre Dame. And I think that's been their Achilles heel when it comes to making it as one of the premier programs in the country because they're bringing in great offensive linemen. they got a couple of uh, this uh, Jeremiah Love running back coming in next year. They may lose another running back, Lamar, out of uh, the Seattle area, may wind up switching to Oregon. they got four very good wide receivers coming in. they got great linebackers, great DBs. They don't have great defensive linemen coming in. 
They got good ones, but not great ones. And they don't have yet that great quarterback that could bring them to the promised land. And for Notre Dame fans, that's a national title. Anything short of that means that they probably fell a little short of their of their goal. But I do think if they get an athletic quarterback who can run and throw, which they haven't had a guy that can do both at a Heisman rate, if they can get a quarterback like that, then Notre Dame could win a national title. Tom, you mentioned uh, signing day upcoming here next week, and then with both the transfer portal being active and different decisions being made with bowl season underway. I was wondering if you could walk us through kind of your timeline of, of what all you're tracking during this season on top of not just signing day, but as we get into bowl season and we transition into the to long off season of, of fighting for transfer portal prospects and, and building things ready for both the spring game and then ultimately the fall next year. You know, what I do is um, I'm on the road most of the time when I'm not filming I'm on the road right now. I'm heading towards um, Texas. We're doing the Army game. There's a new U.S. Army game. It's going to be played in Frisco at the Cowboys facilities Saturday. Army's back in business. And then I'm, I'm hitting the top 100 underclassmen in Texas. I just left the defensive end here in Tulsa from NOAA, which is a homeschool uh, football team. And Notre Dame, by the way, Notre Dame offered their defensive end, the kid I just saw. And then um, I've work my way i drive all 48 states i'll go to hawaii every couple years and no need to go to alaska (laughs) unless unless there's a great player but i haven't been one in years and so i just stay on the road and um i enjoy it you know if you can see in my magazine i use about 40 pages to write about my travels and uh, what i see around the country and what i hear from nil stuff and i knew a&m was going to have trouble this year just from what i heard last year where there was already grumblings with players on the team they were uh, offering a lot of uh, NIL money to freshmen that were coming in. But I think the rest of the guys on the team were getting upset. I, what I've been reading or hearing with, you know, the, usually where there's smoke, there's fire, and it turned out to be that way. A&M's got enormous amount of talent. There's no reason why they lose seven or eight games a year, except there had to be a lot of disgruntled players. And uh, I pick up stuff like that all the time when I'm driving around. And normally I could um, predict what's going to be happening in the future just by the rumors I hear. Uh, during my travels Tom before we let you go I got to get your thoughts on what is going to be now confirm the 12 team playoff in just a couple years from now one more year of the four team playoff Uh, 12 teams I guess does that help anybody most or does it hurt so more so the Blue Bloods I think it hurts the Blue Bloods because you know they they were you know Alabama and Georgia seem like they're born in Clemson until this last year or two uh, in Ohio State but I think it gives it brings more excitement. It's going to allow a lot more teams to uh, probably you know help them in recruiting and also promoting their own programs. So I think the, the fan excitement will be great because you know it, it, it had always been sort of um, centered around five or six teams only. So now when you're going to have maybe 20 to 30 teams where a center around that could possibly be uh, involved in it. So I think it's going to be good for college football. Tom, what's the next stop? I'm, I'm, I'm actually driving towards uh, Millwood High School in Oklahoma City now. I've been in Mississippi, and I've been in uh, uh, Arkansas yesterday, so now I'm heading towards uh, Oklahoma City. And then uh, we're doing the game Saturday in Frisco, Texas, and then I spend the rest of the week interviewing the top 100 underclassmen in the state. 
Tom, do me a favor uh, because anytime I can shout out my high school alma mater, I will. Uh, look out for Trevor Lauk of Ron Colley. He's in that U.S. Army Bowl. Uh, I know he'll be covering everybody there, but uh, he. Trevor's uh, a good ball player. Yep. He's an excellent kid, real nice kid. His grandfather was on the Notre Dame national title team in 1966, played with uh, Alan Page and a lot, a lot of the Hall of Famer type guys. So he's got some history to him, too. Culture runs deep. That is Tom Lemming from CBS Sports, national recruiting analyst. The guy is an encyclopedia on college football. We're happy to have him as the publisher as well of Tom Lemming's Prep Football Report. Uh, Tom, before you go, how can folks get their hand, hands on a magazine? You know, just go to um, uh, it's at Lemming Report on Twitter or just go um, TomLemmingPrepFootball.com and, and get them that way uh, around there. But wanted to say I really I really enjoyed your broadcast with uh, the Chicago with the South Bend Cubs this year. I actually listened to them, uh, a lot of them and going and I like that stadium in South Bend too. That's really a nice. I go all I love minor league. I'm a big Cubs fan, but I go to more minor league games than I do major league and that's a nice stadium out there and you do a great job. Tom, I appreciate it and uh, we'll look forward to having you back in South Bend next year. You can stop by anytime. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, all right. See you, Tom. Tom yeah. Lemming from CBS Sports with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snow blowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you, you could give a, a half a word to that guy and, and ask him to tell you a story, and he, he, he could tell you. It's unreal. Well, anytime you're – well, say this is – 40 years? 40 years, 70s, man. I mean, 70, I mean, guy's been in his car since the 70s, driving around and covering high school football or it, something. It, it's hard to not pick up a nugget or two, and he's had a whole war chest full for sure. So that was that was very fascinating to get his take on the state of affairs across college athletics, not just in the state but beyond. And I think that anytime you have somebody, again, it's he's obviously just covering it. He's not in the coaching rooms or in those uh, necessarily in the process of recruiting for a program, but he's covered the sport long enough. And if you're a Purdue fan to hear somebody as reputable as Tom say, Hey, I think that you're all set with your hire. Then that's another positive tick in the right direction. If you're a Purdue fan, that's, it's worried about the, what Coach Walter is going to bring to the table. If I'm a Purdue fan, and I just heard that interview. I'm feeling a lot better yeah. than I did yep. maybe on Tuesday. Yep. Would you say? Yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And I think that if, if you talk to Purdue folks, and I have as well, that maybe there was initial hesitancy or worries, and then the more you learn about him in general, and the more you realize how beloved he was at Illinois, and just how, like Tom mentioned, good of a recruiter he is, and excellent on the defensive end, I think he's going to warm up to the hearts of a ton of Purdue Boilermaker faithful, not just this week, but in the weeks and months to come. I thought it was also pretty perplexing what he talked about when he brought up Notre Dame truly, aside from Brady Quinn and Jimmy Clausen, you think about an elongated quarterback, maybe throw Ian Book in there too, but talk about an elongated quarterback that has taken the reins of this program and ran with it. Uh, I, he's right. I, you, since maybe 2000, maybe even going to the 90s, Brady Quinn, Jimmy Clausen, Ian Book, that's it. Yeah, and he's going off of... The reason I didn't throw Ian Book in there, and I know why you didn't either, is because I think he was looking for, like you mentioned, guys that have made a career out of it, guys that are playing at the next level. Yeah. And yeah, there, there's not a ton. Um, there's been some good college-level quarterbacks, some some solid college-level quarterbacks, uh, Tommy Reese, uh, Everett Golson, like guys that have been quality players for that team, but not star-studded, flashy, 
guys that you immediately expect are going to be playing at the next level. Uh, you hope that, that that CJ Carr in two years answers that question. And then again, if they are active in the transfer portal, like you asked him, I mean, I'm, I'm not fully sold that, that Uyunglele can't be a, a quality starter uh, in college football and can't make an impact at the program. I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine in any direction they go. I, I trust what Marcus Freeman is building up there. They need some sort of a splash. At the some, quarterback position. At the quarterback yes, position. Yes, I some sort, Because when's the last time, Jimmy, that you've been watching the draft and Mel Kuyper went like, this Notre Dame quarterback, no, uh, he's in my top 10. It never happened. I mean, Brady Quinn fell to, what, I think it was 16 to the Browns. Yep. Ian Book was a fourth-round pick. Jimmy Clausen was with the Panthers for a hot minute, then got knocked out, and it was see ya. Um, other than that, nothing. Everett Golson never went. Tommy Reese never went. Brandon Wimbush never went. Um... Why am I forgetting? Uh, it's not going to come to me. I'm going to have to name the team and you're going to bail me out. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser? There it is. Deshaun, Deshaun Kaiser, Kaiser. But again, yeah. that wasn't... It, he got he, he got a cup of coffee yeah. when Rodgers was injured. Well, like he, that. He, he was just added to the... You know the Browns fan that had like all the quarterbacks yes. running down his thigh? Yeah. And yes. Like he was on that. Yeah. That, that, was, Desha- jersey that was Deshaun Kaiser's the legacy. Yep. And, so, then, and then backing up Aaron Rodgers when he got hurt. I, I, am, I am very excited about um, C.J. Carr. That's a massive pickup for, for Coach Freeman and his company. His story is wild. Like his dad yeah. played at Michigan. I mean, Lloyd Carr is his grandfather, yeah. and then the kid goes to Notre Dame. That, that's, I mean, that's a, it's a massive win for... Notre Dame on the recruiting trail aspect of things, but again, that's two to three years away. And I mean, obviously, he's going to be here in 2024, but unless you're expecting him to make an immediate impact, which maybe you are, you got to figure out the quarterback in the short term, particularly with such high level recruiting classes, best in school history that Marcus Freeman has been putting together. I agree with you. You need a splash. Uh, I've yet to dive fully into it of who I want them to go get, whether it's transfer portal or otherwise, but yeah, you're in need of a splash that position to make these recruiting classes not be just empty numbers. By the way, Eddie, you talked about it or asked last night. Yes, Tom Lemming was in the blind side. Yeah. I, I When I was looking up this guy, because I hadn't, I didn't know his name. I was like, all right. And he's a big name, works for CBS Sports. And I look him up and I was like, wait a second. I recognize this guy. I don't recognize him from working at CBS Sports. I recognize <laughs> he him. He was next to Sandra Bullock. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was the guy who first looked at the tape of Michael Orr. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. The blind side. Don't Great. think he ever said a word in the movie other than making like a facial expression. But I'd love to make a facial expression in a movie. I mean, hey, you're not talking, but you get to be on screen. Uh, BK, Jake Cook, Eddie Garrison around the horn coming up next. It is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts that will join us. Matt Taylor to preview, preview, preview things on Saturday against the Vikings up north. Next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, going to join Brendan King and I, Jimmy Cook, here in just a little bit, right around three minutes or so before Maytay joins the fold. We're here in the drivehuber.com studios. The fan zone, Kevin Bowen, tweeting out earlier this afternoon, Jeff Saturday has ruled out two Colts for Colts Vikes, Kenny Moore with the ankle and Mike Strawn with a concussion. Not going to be out there for the Colts additionally. Kevin went on to tweet, BK, that there's no change at all in the quarterback depth chart from the start of the week. Starter Matt Ryan, backup Nick Foles. Just really interesting. Sam Ellinger, witness protection. Truly. I mean, I don't know. Maybe for others, it doesn't seem as clear. But to me, it just means that they have no interest in this guy. Something happened, and they have no interest in this guy. I mean, I 
You Look, wouldn't be dressing Foles. I, what is Foles going to? Br- what positive can Foles bring this organization for the future? Nothing. Sam Ellinger is not who I want under center next year. So I got to be honest with you. I kind of not I, necessarily I could care me less. neither. I, I really like it. I I don't. You and I agreed with this on Monday. I think it's telling them not having him even on the the sheet, let alone just as being the backup to Matt Ryan. But in terms of the direction of this franchise moving forward, regardless of what they do in the draft or don't do in the draft, or if Matt Ryan comes back or doesn't come back, uh, the positioning of Sam Ellinger doesn't bother me. I, I've seen enough, and I trust the Colts as an organization that if he's not involved or out there, that they've seen enough too. I don't think he's the starter next year either, nor the backup. But who's going to bring you more potential in the last four weeks of the season? What you already know, old Nick Foles' career as any sort of Super Bowl MVP or starter is over, or a kid that you just don't know. You don't. The bag's not out on him yet. You don't know a thousand percent. Maybe you know, or we think that he's not the starter and that's fine but they got to do their due diligence with this kid because there's nothing that Nick Foles can show the National Football League that would make somebody say you know what yeah you know come start for me in 2023 Ellinger at least gives you that sort of mystery where you're like we just got to know what he can do when he's given a fair shot because that two-week stretch against the commanders he nearly won you that game when everything was done wrong around him and then he was given no shot against Bill Belichick as a rookie on the road. That was a disservice to do that to him. So at least give him the shot when you already know what Nick Foles can do. You, There is nothing new that Nick Foles can show the National Football League. At least with Ellinger, there's some sort of you need to find out. The only thing I can hang my hat on with that is that Jeff Saturday is being truthful and honest when he says that Matt Ryan gives him the best chance to win, Which that is they're fine. still trying to win games, and because of that is the mantra in that building right now, still trying to win games, they don't have an interest in putting Sam out there. And that's why next week's practice report and next week's depth chart, assuming they lose to Minnesota, is going to be so fascinating to me because at that point, they will have been eliminated from the playoffs, and now we're shifting towards what these... Final four game, final three games of the season at that point. Hold. At that point, I'm playing all my young guy and see what I got. I'm with you there. It's fine if Matt Ryan, if if Jeff Saturday truly thinks that Matt Ryan can win him football games, fine with me. But I just the Foles backup thing is a little confusing. The voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, nice enough to spend some time with us here on a Thursday. Matt, thank you as always. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. And for you, in your mind. As you look at this depth chart, as you look at Jeff Saturday naming Matt Ryan the starter and the belief in Matt Ryan, how much of that in your mind is that they truly do believe Matt Ryan gives them the best chance to win, like Coach Saturday said? Yeah, I, I think that's there. I mean, I, that that part I, I do buy into because, I mean, listen, you're, you're still trying. I mean, Jeff Saturday said that, you know, regardless of how these eight games uh, end up going and, and regardless of what happens to him in terms of his future, uh, you know, being a head coach in the NFL or a, uh, an assistant coach or what, whatever he wants to do, you know, his name is going to be attached to these eight games. You know, like, let's say this is it for him. You know, this is how he's going to be remembered potentially. You know, he doesn't want to be a guy that went one and eight or one and seven as the interim coach for the Colts for half a season. So he's still trying to win. 
And so he still thinks that his best shot to do so is with Matt Ryan as his quarterback. And this is – I've really got nothing to base this off of other than just like hunch or gut or just kind of like what I know about Matt Ryan in terms of him being a, a competitor and, and that, that fiery nature that he has. But I, I, I think he's mad. I really do. I, I think he's mad at himself because this is what everybody thinks about him now. You know, he's on a new team for the first time in 15 years, and he's getting up there. He's 37 years old, and you know, he's taking a bunch of sacks, and he leads the NFL in turnovers with 18, and he leads the NFL and picks with 13 and obviously set a franchise record and fumbles. So everybody thinks he's just, you know, this guy that can't hang on to the football and, you know, he is sort of what he is right now at this stage in his career. So from that standpoint, I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and wants to play better football and wants to prove people wrong that he's not, you know, the Matt Ryan that that showed up the first you know, 11 games of the season, um, you know, because he missed those two games with a shoulder. So you get what I'm saying. I, I think he wants to prove that he is more like the Matt Ryan of, of old where he's competing in NFC championship games and going to Super Bowls and winning MVPs and is trying to play a, a cleaner brand of football, a more efficient brand of football. And he's got four games to do it. Obviously, the Colts have a lot of things to you know that that they need to go right or in their favor to at least have a shot at making the playoffs, but I don't I don't think that's what this is about. I think Matt Ryan is trying to prove to himself and to his team that he's a lot better than what he's put out on tape. You know, this first part of the season. Mate, it's BK, and what we have seen this year, it was evident in the Kansas City win, it was evident in the Jacksonville game two at home that when given the proper protection. Ryan is able to do some things and and it's going to come down I'm sure as you prep for Saturday to a full team effort against a 10-win team you're going to need to fire on all cylinders without question and you know this this is a Vikings team I'm sure you guys have talked about it they're a they're a great team I mean you don't win 10 games in this league on accident and oh by the way they can clinch the NFC North with a win on Saturday against the Colts and, uh, you know, punch their ticket to the playoffs and host a playoff game. I mean, right now they sit at number two in the NFC if the postseason were to start today. Um, but, I mean, I think they're just incredibly beatable. I do. I mean, right? I mean, they, they've won nine games this year by one score. And so you kind of have to look at it two ways. You have to, you know, commend them and, and congratulate them because that's what it's all about in the NFL. It's really hard to win in this league. It doesn't matter how you get them. You just got to get them because at the end of the day, you know, when you look back on this season five years from now, you're not going to say, well, that win doesn't count because you only beat, you know, whoever by three points. No, it doesn't matter, man. Just get wins. Stack stack good performances and wins on top of one another, and that'll get you in the dance. Um, so that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is, well, they're incredibly beatable because despite those ten wins and those close games, they've got a negative point differential on the season, right? They've been outscored by – one point on the year because their defense is not very good. They've given up a bunch of yards. They're dead last in yards allowed and dead last in passing yards allowed. And their saving grace has been their offense and all of those playmakers that they have on that side of the ball. Plus their defense, the one thing that they do do well is they take the football away. They've got 20 takeaways, which has kind of been their saving grace. And that was kind of the model for the Colts last year on defense you know they did give up yards but they got takeaways and made game-changing plays in the clutch and the Vikings are doing that as well so I think 
to your point, it will take a a full team effort for the Colts to win this football game. But I think there's a chance they can do that because it sets up well for the Colts to run the ball with Jonathan Taylor and to pass protect and and hopefully get you know Matt Ryan into a rhythm and take advantage of a you know Vikings defense that's given up over 300 yards passing in five straight games and over 400 yards of total offense in five straight games and both of uh, both of those things are franchise records in a dubious nature. The voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop in Fishers or the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mower needs, as well as snowblowers, services, and so much more at the Motor Shop in Fishers and the motorshop.com. Follow Matt on Twitter at MayTakeColts. Matt, over the last couple of weeks, Colts have faced some of the tippy top of the NFC and have ultimately let things slip away late and into the fourth quarter with some collapses against the Eagles and the Cowboys. Uh, is that as simple as, as game planning a couple things here or there and adjusting against another top team to not let a lead slip away late if you have one? Or is this a larger issue that has just kind of been a, a microcosm of the Colts all this year? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I mean, I really do. I think it's, you know, the Colts were a team at the beginning of the season. They uh, defensively corrected a lot of mistakes from the year before in terms of being a good fourth quarter team you know for a while there the Colts were the only team up until like I forget whatever week it was it might have been week six or seven that late into the season where the Colts were the only team that didn't give up a fourth quarter touchdown and unfortunately um, that has doomed them um, in reverse these last couple of weeks I mean the commander's game you know, it's just like that one big drive that, that sort of dooms the Colts and they just can't get over the hump. You know, gave up a touchdown to the Commanders at home, the Philly game where you're up by 10 points in the fourth quarter and you can't close that game out. Um, you know, same sort of thing uh, against Pittsburgh on Monday night. You know, you gave up a huge touchdown in the fourth quarter after just dominating them in the third quarter. But it, it's just that one drive that ends up just – uh, being debilitating for the Colts in terms of their uh, ability to hang on and, and, and get these close wins. And then obviously the fourth quarter in Dallas, I mean, the offense had a lot to do with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that that's all part of it in terms of being an elite defense. Even though you're being put in some bad situations, it's still your job to go out there and force threes instead of sevens or get off the field on third down. And the Colts just didn't do that defensively in the fourth quarter last time out. So, yeah, I, I think it is a more of a bigger uh, picture issue with this Colts team trying to be you know, better and, and get themselves into the elite category, and that all starts with just being you know, better in the fourth quarter and shutting teams down when it really matters. Matt, when it comes down to the tell, the tape, how enticing is that Stephon Gilmore versus Justin Jefferson potential matchup? Yeah, it's it's there, but the problem is is that they move him around so much and so often that I, I don't know if it's going to be strictly you know great on great, if you will, with Jefferson and Gilmore. You you know, you'd like to have you know your your best corner on him as much as possible, but you know Jeff Saturday actually talked about that today and with the media and then with me uh, for our pregame show and our interview for Colt Happy Hour tomorrow is that they're so creative about moving him around because they're cognizant of the matchups and they want to get him free. Um, you know, he, he knows the entire route tree from almost every wide receiver position, you know, with, within that offense. So they can line them up in the slot. They can put them outside. 
And then if you go back and look at the tape with, with Detroit, you know, they, they did everything they're supposed to be doing to win that football game. And the dude still goes out there and he posts 223. And that, that's scary. It's, it's, it's kind of terrifying because teams are doubling him and they're rolling coverage his way and they're putting their best uh, cornerbacks on him. And he's still making, you know, terrific catches and putting up huge yardage games and finding the end zone. So there's no doubt they have to, you know, hold him to a reasonable number on Saturday to have a chance to win. But the problem is, is that you still have to slow down the running game with Dalvin Cook, and they still have great possession receiver in Adam Thielen, and they made a trade of the deadline to bring in versatile tight end T.J. Hawkinson, who's really kind of their number two target right now, uh, you know, being that versatile hybrid type position. And so they've got a really scary offense, and uh, with, with Kirk Cousins, you know, they love to roll him out on those boots, get him out of the pocket. He's uber accurate. Um, you know, he, he takes a lot of criticism because the perception of him is that, you know, he's this box score quarterback, kind of this stat stuffing QB. But man, if you watch him at times when he gets into a rhythm and gets into the flow of the offense, he's just as dangerous as, you know, the, the top guys going right now in this league. And so offensively, yeah, they're very formidable. It starts with Jefferson, but you know, he's still making catches and, and double-team coverages, and obviously everybody else can beat you as well if you spend too much time focusing on where number uh, 18 is. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, nice enough to join us. You can follow him on Twitter at MayTayColts. Getting ready for Colts-Vikings on Saturday. Uh, speaking of Colts-Vikes on Saturday, Maytay, how far, how far into the broadcast uh, before you break out a Saturday-on-Saturday type pun? <laughs> I'm going to leave that for you guys. I'm going to leave that one alone. Well, there's already yeah. a commercial running, so you're in good shape. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I'm cheesy, but I ain't that cheesy. So I'm going to leave that up to you guys. So, Go ahead. So just Saturday in the park, then will be be playing for you on rejoiners. <laughs> Is that what we're going with? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We'll we'll we'll, we'll keep that one in the back pocket. <laughs> looking looking forward to it. You know, we'll make a lot of uh, you know Saturday matinee discounted prices. Uh, you know, on those on those movie tickets, if you will, coming up in this game. But it'll be fun. I mean, that place is going to be rocking. Like I said, they can clinch a division championship with a win on Saturday. And we played there last year in the preseason. And that, that place gets loud. And uh, with all that's on the line for them, that, that place is going to be really, really loud in terms of decibels. And it should be a really good environment. Mate, I did want to ask this before we say so long. You brought up T.J. Hawkinson going to Minnesota, but seemingly one of the strengths of the Colts' offense with Matt Ryan has been the Colts' tight end play. It seems like whether it's Mo Alley-Cox, Jelani Woods, or Kylan Granson, at least one of them has a positive day when Matt Ryan starts. Just your thoughts on that? Well, especially here as of late. I mean, Jelani Woods is coming on. I mean, against the Steelers on Monday Night Football, I mean, whatever it was, I think it was like eight or nine catches for 98 yards. Uh, I think he's got 10 catches in these last two games for over 120. And, you know, that was one of the things that was sort of kicked around and debated before the bye week is, you know, should he be more involved? And the problem is that he was coming off that shoulder injury and missed a couple of games before the Pittsburgh game. And so he got acclimated kind of slowly and surely back into the lineup because of that. But, Here's the thing, I mean, with, with Woods and, and it maybe take it a step further and, and have another rookie pass catcher into this conversation, Alec Pierce, not only do these two guys need to play well for their development going into year number two as sophomores, if you will, 
But I think they have to play well, and they need a lot out of those two guys in order to win these last four games. I mean, development's one thing, but you need those guys to produce in order to have a chance you know, to, to come out on top in the, in this final month of the season because of, uh, you know, what, what they've shown. I mean, both guys kind of started slow. If you go back to training camp, which seems so long ago now, but you know, neither guy was catching a ton of passes with the first team offense with Matt Ryan. I mean, if you go back to training camp, it seems like two out of at least three catches were going to Michael Pittman jr. Um, but those guys have slowly developed and I think Matt Ryan, especially as the quarterback of this offense, has developed a lot of trust and a lot of confidence in those two guys. And, yeah, like I said, they, they need to be big for their development, but more so they need to be big in order for the Colts to have a chance to win these last four games. Mate, have a good call. Thank you for making time for us. Looking forward to hearing it right on the fan. And uh, enjoy what will be a, a brief Sunday off for you with a Saturday ball game. <laughs> I know it's weird, but I kind of like it, though, because – I mean, you guys know you guys have called games. I mean, the hay's in the barn by Friday afternoon. Right. So let's just grip it and rip it. Because a lot of times what happens is that, like, that Saturday day off before the Sunday game, usually at 1 o'clock, you know, you, things dance out of your brain. And, and Saturday night you have to go back and make sure you cram it back in there. So I'm kind of looking forward to just getting it all in there, stuffing it in there, and, and gripping it and ripping it. So. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Enjoy it, my friend, and have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, boys. Be well. That is the voice of the Colts. Matt Taylor will be back to put a bow on the day, hand out some bets after this. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King on the fan. Rush to end the day. I'll tell you what. This show hasn't done much, but we've made you some money. That's for darn sure. We're going to do it again. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, we're going to take the Memphis Grizzlies from the money line over the Milwaukee Bucks. Also going to take the New Orleans Pelicans from the money line over the Utah Jazz. And in Thursday night football, going to take Christian McCaffrey as an anytime touchdown scorer. Two and three yesterday, five and seven on the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jay Cook BK. I must tip the cap. A lot of my winning has come in the day session here during the World Cup, but man, the hockey bets have been just red hot. Yeah, I'll tell you what though. Every time I've gotten two picks, I've gone one and one. So I'm gonna give you my best bet when it comes to the ice tonight. Just like I mentioned the other day, it is a system play when Connor McDavid is plus money to score a goal. Well, Connor McDavid is going to take a side seat tonight because we're going to go with the second best player in the world, Austin Matthews, star for the Toronto Maple Leafs, to score. He is at plus 116. Austin is on an eight-game point streak, and his teammate, Mitch Marner, is approaching a 25-game point streak. Mitchie Marner is a more distributor of the puck. Austin Matthews is the sniper. I'm going to bet that Mitchie's going to get to 26, and Austin's going to put one in tonight at plus 116. Here for it all the way around. 
I, I want to pause for just a moment and see if our producer extraordinaire, Eddie Garrison. Edward, no, saving no, money. No, bets. Look All who's right. saving the cash this week. I just haven't had time to uh-huh. really look into uh-huh. it because <laughs> I know it's as a you guys know, classic I'm about last to, word. I'm about to start producing John here in a moment here at three o'clock. You're on so double duty. I am on wow. double duty, so I've been double booking here while we've been producing here. I've been also doing some ahead of the work producing for JMV. You're just saving your best bets for JMV. I understand. It's okay. It's all right. It doesn't want to share them with us. Switching away from bets for a second. I hate to say this. I hate to say maybe Brendan was right, but I'm I'm going to say that. I'm right about something? Maybe BK was right. Uh, our friend Andrew Walker from Colts.com has a post about the lead up to Saturday's Colts-Vikings game. And one of his bullet points, you shouldn't have done primetime. You should have done the way he did it, which is non-Sunday Cousins. On days that aren't Sunday. Kirk Cousins has an 8 and 17 record or a 320 winning percentage including the playoffs. Again, that's 8 and 17 or a 320 winning percentage tied for the second worst such winning percentage among qualifying QBs in the NFL since 1970. For reference, Matt Ryan is 18 and 17 in non-Sunday starts. BK, so, do you feel validated? I'm just trying to play my game. What's up, KK? I'm just trying to play my game. Um, give the best takes I can for this Indianapolis community. I, I was just trying to tell you that 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 Kirk Cousins in again I consider Not prime Sunday. Time. No, Stop it. No, Stop I, it. I, I can I consider prime time when everybody in the country is watching the same game on television because every That's single just a bar. National audience. I, I don't care, audience. Jimmy. Every single bar in this country is going to have Colts and the Vikings on. You could go to Chicago, New York, L.A., Miami. Uh, Alaska. I, I don't care. Every bar is going to have this this game. Going to be a great daytime so, matchup. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, look, man, we've been college kids before. Going out on a Saturday afternoon, having a game to it's watch. Great. Me, it's awesome. L- lo- love a little day, awesome. little daytime game. The, the problem is, and then at night you get your primetime game. The next generation of of college kids, like the kids that are like ten years old right now, it, when we were getting ready to go to a college party in college, did your friends ever have like NFL highlights on just as something to watch in the background? I mean, it was music going. We yeah. they're always a sporting event so, of the day. One yes. of my buddies would always put on like Tavon Austin or Randy Moss highlights. Just like, hey, watch this, watch this. The generation of ten year olds right now, Justin Jefferson highlights are going to be what they're pre gaming to when they're eighteen in college. Or maybe they'll be if it's an evening party, like you mentioned, they'll be watching a game in prime time, which Pri- is what Colts fans <laughs> won't be doing on prime on time. Saturday. It is prime time enough. Uh, one o'clock on Saturday, you get the mythical one o'clock Kirk Cousins. Against Matt Ryan. It should be a whole lot of fun. That's Jay Cook. I'm BK. Eddie Garrison here. John next. 93.5, 107.5, the fan.